You know how you prove I'm human? I give you money and buy stuff. Welcome to episode number 158 of Grumpy Old Ben's for Friday, May 7th, 2021. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where, boy, I am still happy to be eating salad food. And from America's left coast, where even Melinda is sick of Bill's megalomania, I'm Ryan Pemrose. Well, yeah, but see, now the kids will get some money because Bill wasn't going to leave them any. But maybe Melinda will be nice. Who knows? Is there a deal think, going on? Do you think that's what this is about? Because I've heard so much rumor and speculation about, oh, it's it's a tax dodge. Oh, it's it's trying to, you know, shift the foundation this way or not. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, the only important take is the one from No Agenda yesterday. And I am inclined to agree with Adam, which is that it's none of our business. Yeah, it's, it's between them. It's a personal thing. And when you're a celeb or you are a CEO or whatever you are, where you're in the public spotlight in some way, shape or form, all of these things get magnified. And I think a lot of people just like that voyeuristic mentality, no matter who we're dealing with. But when you're dealing with a guy who is in, I mean, he's still like in the top 10 richest people in the country, if not the world, right? I mean, maybe not the world because you got. Uh, some people overseas, but that uh, have a ton of money. But Bill Gates has a ton of money, and this is just ripe for the court of people sitting at home eating some popcorn, being like, "Oh, I wonder who's going to get what. Oh, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a big divorce? Oh, is it going to? Is it amicable?" It's like, well, I mean, as much as people want to say, you know, divorces can be amicable, and I don't know, is there is there a certain amount of money that you can have? that you don't care if you lose a high percentage of it. I mean, because Bill Gates is going to be left with a pretty good amount of money afterwards. But if you're really poor or if you're really rich, is it really different when somebody's taking half your stuff? I I think it matters just, you know, from a sheer numbers perspective. For example, you know, uh, Dame Pemrose and I, we don't have anything. And therefore, if she takes half my stuff, I'd be like, OK, well, I'll just break this candy bar in half and we're good. <laughs> right. But, but uh, so- you know, on a podcasting salary. It's like the really rich or really poor. You don't miss it when somebody takes half your stuff. I mean, I, I think I would miss it. I, if there is such a thing as an amicable divorce, I think that's just a term people use. But what do I know? I've never been divorced and I don't intend to be. Um, she's going to kill me first. Okay. She's going to kill the, you 30 seconds after you find the paperwork for the life insurance policy she took out <laughs> on you. Yeah, it's it's really like unfortunate that. you found that, Ryan. I mean, like, yeah, uh, this is this is new. I, I mean, I already had the policy. Was it not enough? <laughs> <laughs> As the frying pan comes down, I I tell you what, though, um, it, it 
Bill Gates divorce is not notable to me. Uh, you know, I don't give in for celebrity worship and, and I don't really care. Okay. You know, a rich person is getting divorced that I, I actually am. I'm kind of of the opinion that the more money you have in a relationship, the harder it is to keep together because money tends to drive people apart in that way. Uh, you know, to, to a point being in poverty is also rough. Don't get me wrong, but, um, I'm, I'm not fascinated by the bill gates divorce i'm not even fascinated by bill gates he wouldn't even be on the tip of my tongue because he's rich or because he's a celebrity those are all things but i don't care about celebrity worship the reason why bill gates has been in the forefront of my mind is because for the last year and a half he's been trying to kill me and <laughs> amongst frankly other i and 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 most of the other people in the in the world and frankly i am kind of pleased that he suddenly has something else to focus on other than his attempts to poison the entire population of the planet in the name of, of depopulation. So it's notable. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think anybody really cares about it. It's just another diversion because let's be honest, television and movies have gone to crap over the last couple of years. So this is something we've all had to turn to sports. Yeah. yeah, Well, that's gotten bad too. They're all dropping viewership like mad, which is okay. The uh, The cryptos are still going up. Now, this is weird because I, at the beginning of the last show, said, hey, the Ethereum was up to 156 bucks for the payout that our little mining thing does, the 0.05 Ethereum. And that was up to $156 where the show before, just a few days earlier, it was 138 So almost a $20 swing upwards. Well, since the last show on Monday, where it was at 156, it's now up to 175. So Ethereum just keeps clicking up, clicking up, clicking up. The Cardano, I noticed when I first mentioned it on the show, I think it was show 147, that I said, hey, you people should check out Cardano. That's something that I put a little bit of money into right now. It was at a buck 19 then? Was that a buck Isn't six? that a conflict of interest? I put money into this. You should all buy and drive the price up. Well, of course. That's why people are getting mad at elon but i have a little less pull than elon a few less people following me it was just a suggestion but we made it clear that we were not good at this so (laughs) that was uh maybe you didn't want to take it but if you would have that is like a 42 percent jump in about the last month which is still the thing that is hard to wrap your brain around is anybody that deals with finance in at any level that Oh, if you would have put $10,000, if you had it, into this coin a month ago, you would now have $14,000. Just making the numbers nice I mean, and easy. Is, is, it, is it really that hard to wrap your head around? Any, anybody who, who played any of the online casinos of the 1990s, this is kind of the same thing. <laughs> yes, it, it goes up until it goes down, kids. That is the trick. And I would like to point out, after a full week, of streaming satoshis for the grumpy old ben's program we made three dollars and 36 cents in the last week on satoshis Woo! thank god we can retire and give up this life of crime <laughs> no we just need to keep doing a lot of shows to make yes. that make that, oh, is that what we need to do? is actually you know, given that it's all permanent defaults the uh it's it, you know rightly observed by uh i think it was i think it was james Cridlin. Uh, rightly observed that the streaming Satoshi system 
uh, favors people who do really long podcasts, yes. which means people like us who don't know how to shut up are at an obvious advantage in this system. Yes, because if you don't talk long enough when you're getting paid by the minute, this becomes like what scar, you know, the uh, the bad lawyers, the schemy lawyers would do, which is. You know, if they know if they keep you on the phone for 16 minutes, they get to charge you a lot more. If they keep you on the phone for 15 minutes because it's billed by the quarter hour and we, we just keep talking. That is where the money flows in on the streaming sats. And I know it seems like we're making fun of this and we are, but we also understand it's, it's what in we the, do. It's in the infancy and that this is a system that if it is adopted by a majority of the people that listen to podcasts, it could work out really 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 well but it is early and there's a lot of things that still have to shake out but at the very least this is a proof of concept and for that it is pretty impressive being that this concept didn't exist anywhere in anybody's minds like a year ago so what uh what they're doing is pretty cool new thing it's it's moving really fast sir spencer thinks the money's in the boosts and I'm not sure about that either. This is something that we have to see how it's going to shake out. A lot of things that happen in the world, people yeah. guess are going to go one way. I mean, we saw that with even something as evil as Twitter when it came out and it was like, oh, well, we'll never need more than just 140 characters of just text. And we've seen what's happened. And there was no the private messaging. There was no 640 K ought to be enough for anyone. Right. So the question if the boosts are going to do anything. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, as of yet, I'm going to have to disagree with Spencer on this one because there's no money in the boosts either. Right, right. And uh, like, oh, you boosted me for a fraction of a penny. I, you know, I'm so excited. Another thousand of those and I might be able to get my cup of coffee. And once that all gets worked out, that's where it's going to be more interesting to watch. You're, You're absolutely right. Now, if there is a button if you hit in the app that you're using and there's only a handful that are doing this but if you can hit a button that says boost and then it's like a dollar five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars then maybe that turns into something when boost is like you like you said oh I, you just boosted me a tenth of a cent that's nice and if billions of people do that that would be great but and, it's the, and i know that yeah i'm sorry it's the proof of concept and I know that the 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 crypto enthusiasts out there are all rushing to their emails to point out that we should not be thinking about crypto, about Bitcoin, about Satoshis. We should be thinking not that it's a tiny fraction of a cent, but rather that, hey, here's 100 Satoshis or something like that, because if it's going to be a currency, then you have to think about it in terms of, of the local currency and not constantly converting back and forth for your thoughts. And I agree with that, except that I still can't go out and feed myself and shelter myself on Satoshis. Well, especially not at these levels, but but they're going to go up. All right. And that is where you still have the disconnect. We talked about setting it up. And the reality is, even though we have this set up and I can see how many Satoshis come in, I still need to go set up another wallet somewhere else in order to take those Satoshis out of that guy's system over at streaming.satoshis and bringing it into a wallet of mine where I can then even think about converting that into cash or another type of crypto. So there are a lot of steps involved, and I'm sure if this continues to take off, it will become a lot easier. There will become a lot more people that get involved in this. 
that will just give you a podcasting app or whatever it is that will then collect the money and take a percentage and then let you extract it like PayPal would into an account where you can have actual money. And that'll make it a little bit easier for people to get involved, too, because I think a lot, including us, because we understand, I think, more than a lot of normal podcasters. I mean, maybe not more than all tech podcasters, but I think we understand this stuff a lot more. And there were a number of steps involving other companies or other entities or buying hardware and setting stuff up that I don't think your average podcaster who gets a hundred or less downloads per episode is going to want to deal with this because it's just going to be a a loser. It's going to be a loser of time. You're not going to really make money at it. And it's fun to be involved. The same is true of a PayPal account, right? (laughs) I mean, if you have a hundred or less downloads, then, then go to anchor because they pay, they pay by the minute for ad impressions. Even if nobody listens, Ooh, (laughs) there's this exit strategy. Yeah. They pay a few pennies. Uh, put out a know, show that our, you don't expect our, our friend our friend carl from uh, watp he did briefly he did an experiment he started an anchor fm podcast where he did i think 50 episodes called the peapod and the idea behind the peapod was there was no dialogue there were no voices on it he was recording himself urinating for every episode <laughs> and he put that up on anchor and told them to monetize it and he made something like 60 dollars over the course of all those episodes that's genius. <laughs> See, there's a niche it's, for everything. Yeah, there's there's a niche for every podcast. Uh, I I do completely agree with you that this is going to get easier. The number of extremely intelligent people over on podcastindex.social who are working on making all of this work better is uh, astounding. Like you're wading in and going, these people really are. They, you know, they're both passionate and they know what the hell they're doing. And that's not something you get in large groups of people most of the time. So I know it's going to get easier. Uh, it's not there yet. And for as long as there's really rough edges on the whole system and and there's parts of it that are unintuitive or don't make sense or just really difficult, then I'm going to sit here complaining about it because that's what we do here on Grumpy Old Ben's. Right, but because we I, I want, think it's going to get a lot better. Yes, not to tear it down, but in the hopes of making this better, in the hopes that the people that are involved in this will hear what we say as average podcasters and understand that criticism is not meant to be a, a negative thing. It's like, hey, you know what? If you can take care of this, this, and this, then I think you'll have like 10 times more people on board immediately. It's like, those are important things to understand because um, you know this as a coder, you just assume how everything's going to work. You know, everything you did. So your program works exactly perfectly for you, but somebody else gets it. No, as a self-aware coder, I know damn well that when I first coded that nothing is going to work right until I debugged it a few times. Yeah. And I, I need to boost you because I used for random thoughts. This week to do the chapters file, I used the Bemro software and it worked fairly well. It seemed like the the timing was yeah. slightly off. I don't know how that could even be possible. T- timing? Yeah, like it was, you know, I would be doing the the uh, adding the chapter. And then when I listened back, it seemed like it was like four or five seconds before I thought it would have been. And I'm not using dynamic ad insertion, are you? No, <laughs> if somebody wants to pay me, I would be glad to do that. I mean, it was close enough, and I'll have to go back and double check if that was something that uh, 
if that would have been different than if I would have hand coded it. That is seriously weird because the only thing that it does is it takes your H colon M colon S that you type in. Right. It converts it to number total number of seconds and it stores that integer in the file. Everything else is either your app or the player that you're using to get timestamps. And that could be a two. It could just be that that's, you know, that's an interesting point because I use it on uh, VLC and I speed it up a couple of times to get it. So it's very possible that the counter is just not keeping up. Oh, with I have the audio. I've noticed the, I, I've noticed doing GOB chapters on, on a much longer audio file that uh, the, the VLC when it's sped up is actually not terribly accurate. Um, when I, when I'm grabbing the chapters, I'll find where I want the chapter thing to be, and then I will back it up, slow it down, and play it at 1x speed so I can get the right timestamp. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, so yeah, that was exactly what was going on there. This is the thing. These are the types of things that podcasters deal with to try to bring you the highest quality product that we possibly can. And if I were really ambitious, then my chapters file, I would also put a player in so that you just click a button and say, give me the timestamp right now. And then it would pull that out of there. But of course I'm lazy. And all it does is it wants you to enter in a timestamp. Well, that would be really cool if you could just press yeah here. And then it takes wherever it is in the player. That would be I mean, the amount of code for making a, a player would be about 10 times the amount of code that I wrote that just, just puts a bunch of grid of boxes on the screen that you enter text in and then converts those into a JSON file. But it would be people that would actually want to use that and they might send value back your way. So that would be a, uh, could be something to consider. This could be a project. The Bembrose chapter. Are, are you suggesting exit strategy? <laughs> yes. It's well, <laughs> well it's a, a supplemental strategy until the point that it becomes enough. And then right. once you can buy your own island or Bill Gates will return your phone calls, then it would be an exit strategy. But the whole value for value thing, I thought it was interesting. Twitter just added a feature called tip jar, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around why they did it, because the strangest thing about this from the Twitter aspect. Didn't is, they, they announced this a couple of weeks ago or a month ago? They may have. It's, we, it's finally happening now. OK. And the thing is, one, Twitter's not taking any cut on this. So if they allow you, not everybody can put a tip jar on their account yet. And this is a no surprise because Twitter treats everybody differently. But if you're one of the people that can have a tip jar, people can pay you via PayPal or Bandcamp and a variety of other ways. But Twitter is not taking a percentage or anything out of this. According to what they're saying, they're doing this just out of the kindness of their heart. And that's where I start getting a little uh, concerned because I don't think Twitter does anything out of the kindness of their heart. The biggest story that's come out with this is that. Oh, this is a privacy concern, because if you pay with PayPal, the person you're tipping will get your mailing address. And the reality of the situation is that's true if you provide it. PayPal. Well, and if you provide it, you can still click. This isn't needed. And the person on the other end won't get this. I know this from taking the donations through PayPal. For random I was going to say, if, if, if you are concerned about giving out your mailing address, then n- not using PayPal is is a few steps down the line. If you don't want your mailing address to get out there, here's here's a free tip from Grumpy Old Benz. If you are concerned and don't want your mailing address to get out to the public, don't put it out in the public. 
Don't give it to PayPal. What the hell do they need it for? Yeah, get it. Well, you can get a P.O. box one, and those are relatively inexpensive if you get the smallest box, especially in rural areas. So that's not bad if you need an address. But the reality of the situation here is with taking the donations, as we do here on Grumpy Old Benz or Random Thoughts for all the stuff we do, if the person provides their address, we get it. If they don't, and you can click, you know, no, I don't want to provide this or no, this isn't needed. The same thing pops up, it appears, from articles that I've read on the Twitter system, but people just don't pay any attention because at the bottom of the thing, while you're tipping somebody, it says your mailing address and it probably shows your mailing address and it's a drop down or a little thing that you can pull down and you can then select this isn't needed and then it won't send it. But if you just go with the default, then the person on the other end is going to get your mailing address. So if you're concerned with that, then be aware of that or use a different system or send somebody crypto or whatever it is. This is an interesting concept because to me, it feels like Twitter is doing whatever they can to try to stay relevant at this point with all of this money moving back and forth. And this to me also seems like maybe one of those issues where they're going to try this. And once people really start liking it and they're getting money this way, then Twitter's going to come in with, oh, you know, this, it's really taxing our infrastructure. So we're going to have to, you know, like a 5% or 3% or something's going to have to come to us. And that'll, that'll be when the I mean, switch is made. You really think that of Twitter? You think they would be so horrible to do to the users what they already did to TweetDeck with the API back in the day? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah, they would. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm just going to expand on on the bit of free advice. This is something that I, I I don't know why exactly it is, but a lot of of internet novices, like my in laws, can have never figured this one out. And that is just because a site puts up a form with a, a bunch of boxes where you know there's a there'll be a, a form and the box says enter your address here, enter your full name here, enter your dog's birthday here, enter your social security number here. That doesn't mean you have to fill all of those out. I, I I don't understand exactly why it is that people see an online phone form and there's a box labeled, you know, social security number. There's a box labeled, you know, a blood type. And you're like, oh, obvious. I, I know that I have to put it in the box. No, if you are concerned about privacy, you need to be giving the minimum amount of data that the site needs for it to work. And that usually means only the required fields, because there are generally only a couple required fields and the rest of them are all just data collection and only the ones that the, the people you're working with, the company, the website, whatever, just the information that they need in order to fulfill your request. And nothing else. If I am ordering something that's you know purely an online service, and I'm not going to get anything delivered, they don't need my address. If I'm not signing up for a service where they're going to send me text messages and I want them, they don't need my phone number. They don't. You know, this is how these huge databases that we keep talking about breaches. Every seems like every week there's another breach that i bring to his show which i don't even have one today because i my god this gets repetitive saying it but the the reason why these breaches are so bad is because people are filling the databases with information that is not needed 
Oh, and by the way, if you're filling out a form and it marks the address field as required, but you really don't think they need that, like, uh, no, I'm I'm signing up for a, a I'm signing up for an account at a B, BBS or a you know a web forum or something. You don't need my address. Then put a fake address in. What the hell does it matter? Don't put your real address in. Th- this is not information. It I guess it, it frustrates me that you know. Even people who care about their information getting out are still putting their information out there. Be like the Blues Brothers. Use the address of Wrigley Field. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) But I saw somebody like bitching about this. Is Wrigley Field even still there? Yeah, it is. Unfortunately. I mean, it's still a rat infested crap hole. But uh, besides that. I was was... thinking the address of the kingdom because it's been taken down. (laughs) It's imploded. Yeah. A lot of domes have been. The. Um. What was I? I, where did I, I lost my train of thought. I know it was a little one. I have that effect on people. I, I know you do. I know you do. Oh, somebody was really complaining about people that fill out there. Uh, there was a good rant. Too. It was kind of Bemrose esque because the person's like, yeah, it was this was on Facebook. So, I mean, use anything you get with a grain of salt. But all these things that you see, especially on Facebook, all you people are so stupid. All of this. Oh, enter your birthday and see what it says about you or see what the number one song was on oh. the day you were born. They're like, they're all just grabbing your data, morons. The quizzes. Yes. The quiz. Yeah. Fill out this quiz and we'll tell you what kind of monkey you are. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like, when was your birthday? Where were you born? Where did you meet your yeah. spouse? What's your nickname? What, what was in the high name school? of your elementary school? You know, right. All of the things that every website has as your security <laughs> question. They're asking you to put into a quiz yes. to find out whether or not your your nipples are in Pisces this month or something. Uh huh. And that, like you said, you wonder how this information gets out there. It's because. A vast majority of people don't think anything of it because a lot of people still don't understand the connectivity that happens online with cookies and tracking systems and that where you think, oh, well, I can put this into this because I'm not giving them any other information. It's like, no, they have plenty of your information. Every little tidbit you share adds to the puzzle and eventually they have all the pieces and i mean i have to applaud a bit what apple is doing but you wonder why they're doing it and what's really going on in the background with all of this new anti-tracking stuff in uh in 14.5 well that's good because there's a lot i mean there was i saw an article of something like well apple's been flocking people all along which was basically what uh the google was going to in chrome so this is a big deal right now. All of this, how you're being tracked, what technology they're using, and more importantly than any of that, I think, is how it is all being sold to you as something good for you when it's usually not. Well, but I mean, if if you get only the ads that that you want to see, then isn't that better than not getting any ads at all? And some people believe that, which <laughs> I mean. I d- well, the the false dichotomy always given by the people who make money by sending ads is is that your only two options are getting random ads for things you don't want or ads for things we know you want. And I reject the false dichotomy, of course, because my my preference is how about you don't advertise at me? But then how but do we make our money? I, that is not my problem. It, I, <laughs> you know, I feel no responsibility whatsoever in propping up business models online. Well, and that was one of the funniest things that has come out of this change 
with the Apple system was, and I've seen this on my iPad because I tried the uh, Facebook app just to see what would happen. And it does give you a big warning screen like, oh, let us track you. This is how this, this, and this, this is how we keep Facebook free. And oh, yeah. I guess there used to be a tagline, and I don't remember this, but I, I believe the people that I read the story on this, that Facebook used to have a tagline free and always will be. And that has disappeared from their site. So I oh, my God, you just you, you just gave me a vision of an amazing future for which there is not enough popcorn. I want to see <laughs> Facebook go paywall. now. Yes. I yes. want to see Facebook start charging because. Oh my you just just from the perspective of doing this podcast and reporting on that and just follow up on all of the the fragments of the explosion would it would be amazing. I would rant for hours. I want Facebook. <laughs> I want Facebook to charge for their service now. Yeah, and they would start slow and this will only be for people that don't let them do all the tracking they want, but it'll come down to well you know you have hundreds of megabytes if not more of photos and posts and all of this on our site and we, oh yeah yeah you know. before they charge the first thing they need to do is make it very very difficult to get any of your data out right because the in order to charge they're going to have to hold everything you've ever put into facebook for ransom yes it's going to be held yeah. hostage or even if they even if they let you download it it's still they're going to be selling you on Oh, but then your your mom won't be able to see little Jimmy's pictures or your high school crush won't be able to keep up with how good you're doing and all. Oh, of my the- gosh, I'm, I'm salivating <laughs> over this. Please let this happen. You know, it's going to go there at some point because all of these social media sites have to make money. And this was been the story for us with uh, Twitter since it started, which was. Okay, let's forget about the fact that they censor 99% of the conservatives out there and the system sucks now. As a overall concept, at the beginning, it was pretty interesting. But the question was always, how do you monetize this? You know, is it, oh, we're just going to insert ads into people's timelines or what that? This was long before there was even a concept that the timeline just wouldn't be chronological, that they would start deciding what you should see and what you shouldn't. But nobody wants to see ads when it comes down to any of these social media sites. If you go to Instagram and every other picture you see is an ad, you're eventually going to run people out and be like, I'll just go see my friend's oh my picture when, somewhere else. When Facebook first started, they didn't have a, a monetization idea at all. Like that wasn't part of their business model. And what was it? Oh, six, oh, seven, when uh, they first floated the idea of putting ads into your timelines and everybody lost their minds yes well because all of a sudden you have to shoehorn in an ability to make money into a system that wasn't set up to make money the system was set up to actually be useful for the people that want to use it because that's what you do you create a product that if people like it that's great but then you decide how do we monetize this and usually there's no good way and even worse than the technical issues is, is the fact that you have normalized giving people a, a product for free without any cost or sacrifice to them. And now you're, you're the fact that you've normalized, it gives everybody a feeling of bait and switch and say, oh, oh, we're actually going to go ahead and impose a cost on you. You have to look at ads now. And if you started it out with that, and that was part of the deal when people signed up, almost as many people would have signed up, but they'd be used to the ads. But the 
it it has repeated over and over again whenever a company finally is like oh i guess we should try to monetize now and they try to degrade the product that they've put out it's far worse than just starting out with a paid product it, it i mean going back to the the podcasting 2.0 stuff the, the it, it uh podcasts are are quote unquote free right now um a lot of them have ads but if you are getting in on podcasting 2.0 the prospect is, well, now you're going to be paying a subscription for podcasts and and that's going to be a little bit of a tough sell, but at least we're getting in as soon as we possibly can and saying, no, no, part of podcasting is that you pay for this. And I mean, this is also the, the, the value for value model that we operate under is part of listening to our show is that if you get value from this show, you send some of the value back to us. Now, we don't have any mechanism to enforce that. It's all on our system. Uh, and, and the podcast 2.0 streaming Satoshi's thing is a little bit more of a, it's still on our system. But either way, I guess, you know, trying to go back because my point is meandering. Um, if you normalize that people are getting something for free with no expectation of remuneration, and then later you go back and alter the deal, then and now you're you're Darth Vader and everybody's looking at you and like, I want my cloud city back. Right. But you are working on the the drone system that will find Grumpy Old Ben's uh, listeners who have not become experts and uh, in attacking them. Right. I mean, that's still a prototype. We haven't made any announcements about that. Okay, Yeah. We don't want to talk about that publicly then. But that is the issue. When you have a, a product that people get used to, it's free. And then you decide you have to try to make money on it. That I think most people still, if the price is reasonable and we've talked about that with piracy. That if the price is reasonable, people will jump on as opposed to, oh, if you're asking for way too much, then. And convenience is part of the price, remember? Yes. Convenience is definitely a part of the price with things like this Twitter tip jar. I'm not really sure why you would want to tip somebody on Twitter. I mean, I get why you. I'm I'm the wrong person to ask that question. (laughs) I mean, on any social media. I understand why I would want to, and I do, support people that do podcasts, but that is that is because it is more of a substantial thing, and I want that content to continue. I don't think anybody is on Twitter posting their little snarky whatever it is. I don't think they're doing it for money. So I don't, I mean, I guess it could just be this is another way to find your favorite podcasters or content creators. And I can't say it's a bad thing to open up that avenue, but Twitter seems to be trying to really find some kind of a foothold here because we talked about that they've, they're testing, which I guess I can try out because I have over, I think it's if you have over 600 followers on Twitter, they now have a clubhouse type audio thing that you can start rooms and people can jump in on and you can do live streaming audio on Twitter. I can subscribe. Yeah. And you can do that also, you know, so maybe that's where this is coming in, that that's the kind of content people will be tipping for more than just an average tweet. Uh, but of course, there was in the Twitter I, vein I, of having to be the uh, big brother, to be the narc, to be the censorer. There's another new feature on Twitter, which is going to warn people that their tweets are too mean or offensive before they even get posted. (laughs) 
mean, uh-huh. I thought they already had that one. Uh, they, they, at least they were testing it. It was, it was a proposed new feature. Is this I now know, out? I, could, I think that it was. I don't know if Twitter ever was doing it. I believe it was done by YouTube uh, with the comments. There, um, maybe it was Twitter a lo- quite a while ago. I think maybe. it was Twitter. It was. I mean, it was years ago. There was a. It was going to be a filter. Like we noticed, there's a lot of angry words in this tweet. Are you sure you want to send it or something like that? Yes. And the interesting thing was that in the initial testing of this, and it's only for the American language, you know, the English language, because God forbid you censor somebody who's not speaking English. It's all of us horrible white people speaking English that you have to go after. But the initial test showed 34% of the users who received the warning chose to revise or not send the message at all so a third a little over a third of the people who got that did edit themselves or what, not post the message what what percentage of the user saw the warning and went this is creepy as hell and shut down their twitter account do they have stats on that it should be a lot and i also would i understand that i would think this could be more for anybody who has the ability to think rationally because if Twitter is warning you before you post it and you do post it anyway, I think there's a really good chance they're going to remove it or ban you. So or, this- or, or just shadow ban it. Like, I mean, not ever since the ever since the timeline stopped being chronological there, I'll go. We have no transparency or no visibility into what the hell the algo is doing. And who here honestly thinks you're like, no, I really meant to be this snarky send it is twitter going to deliver that to anyone no twitter might be like okay we'll go ahead and store this in the database and we'll show it to you when you look at your timeline no one else is ever going to see it you'll think it's funny nobody will like nobody's going to retweet and you'll wonder why and that will that will curb your behavior as well because you'll be like oh people don't like snarky anymore yeah i guess you know nobody likes when i'm sarcastic which by the way is is patently not true because that's that's the only thing I've ever done on this show and people donate. Well, it's something that is very hard to get across in text only, which is one of the biggest problems, Twitter or anything like it, including Mastodon that we use a whole lot more over at noagendasocial.com. But when you're doing things in a text medium, it's really hard to tell if somebody's being sarcastic or not, where you can tell. When you see them, especially in a video, it's quite easy because there's a lot of body language usually that goes on audio. The same thing that you can tell that that the way somebody says something is quite easy for people to figure out that it's sarcasm or not in text. It's hard to get that across. And this is very worrisome that the language is being attacked in the way that it is. And this is just another way for people to be trained. Larry from that Larry show, our buddy Larry Blinder was just talking about this and how he believes now there's a lot of people who just don't even understand the words people are saying, which would explain why people are still behind Joe Biden, because they just hear his voice. Like, and, don't understand the words like like they have a limited vocabulary. Yes. Like they don't really understand language. They don't understand what is being said that they base their opinion. I mean, people are turning into dogs because they're basing their opinion 
just on somebody's body language and how calm their voice is, or if they're excited, maybe they'll get excited, but they have no idea what the actual words mean. They're just taking clues from the way it sounds and the way the person acts. And that is more important to them from a comprehension scale than the actual meaning of the words, which is also a very scary concept. I'm glad Larry came up with it because uh, it, would, it, it just it's it, it blew my mind because I'm like, I think he may be right that this is just the tuned out mentality that a lot of people have because of the fact that we're not teaching kids basic skills anymore. What words mean, how the language is used. I mean, we talked about punctuation. Remember, a finishing a sentence with a period was violent or something like that. Because I do remember this. It's you know, it's crazy. Do, do you think that this this char- this characteristic though is new? I think so. I, mean, I feel like I don't feel like the internet or or social networks brought this in so much as uh, the the era which started before you and I were even around, uh, probably in the nineteen fifties and sixties. The era of of people getting most of their other human interaction by watching a moving screen instead of interacting with real people, which kind of started with the television generation, which are now known as, you know, the baby boomers where um, you, you know, I don't think this started with radio because it's actually difficult to get the, it, it it's a lot easier to get the inflection from voice than it is from text. But uh, with radio, you still didn't have body language. You didn't have, you know, you, you can't see me, uh, gesturing wildly at my notes file right now. Right. Uh, but somebody I, I, can. So <laughs> the, the cat is judging me right now, but, but I'm used to it. Uh, the, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the point where we stopped listening to words, I feel like probably started and, and it may have been a long process when, uh, with those words, we started to get the one-way broadcast of of images as well, and humans are are extremely visual, uh, even to the exclusion of a lot of other things. And so, I think that uh, you know, as soon as as some talking head started looking reassuring on the news, on you know the news cycle, the five o'clock news, they'd come out and with a a cheery, confident voice and a, a well pressed. To, you know, suit and a, a tie that's been freshly stained or whatever it is, um, comes out and explains to you that 450 people died in a volcano explosion yesterday, but it's okay because I'm saying it in a confident tone of voice and I'm looking you right in the eye when I say it. Oh, yeah. And if it was Fox News, it's a pretty blonde in her late 20s or early 30s oh, yes. with a great smile. And then you're not looking her in the eyes anymore. <laughs> and you're like, oh, the news seems great. <laughs> oh, oh, a violent eruption, people dead. That sounds great. It is it is one way to color the news that you take in and how people react to it, because you pointed out early on in Grumpy Old Benz that people were built to be tribal. We were built to react to things in our little tribe, in our between our family and our friends. And that's what we care about. That's how the species grew up. With the national and international news 24-7, seeing, you know, there was a mudslide that killed 50 kids in some foreign country you never heard of, you can't let that totally wreck your day. I mean, it's sad, 
but you have to put things in perspective. You know, the same thing with all the COVID deaths. It's like, okay, even if 300, 400, 500, whatever it is, a thousand people died from this over the last year and a half. It's like, well, there was a high number of those that were going to die anyway. I think people do let it ruin their day, though. Oh, yes. Well, this is the problem. People are terrible with statistics and they're terrible with with concept of scale, which is why national 24 hour news is so devastating to the human psyche when you tune into it, because all they have to do is, it, you know, it from a purely statistical perspective, at any given moment, somebody is firing a gun right now every moment and and they're probably in chicago and purely statistical perspective somebody is is dying right now of covid and somebody is probably dying right now from from the covid vaccine and somebody is probably dying in a landslide somewhere there are enough people on earth that statistically speaking someone somewhere is doing almost everything that you see and the poison of the news media is all they have to do is pick out that story like okay somewhere today uh, a black person got shot by a white cop so let's go find where that is and that'll be the story we highlight right and this is also how the vast majority of news bias occurs well at least before the trump era in the trump era they're actually just blatantly lying to you on screen but even before that the vast majority of news bias came from just choosing which stories to cover the you know you can ignore the 57 instances of black on black crime in chicago and find the one where a black person was shot by a white person plaster that and make it top story for four days straight and you're going to generate exactly the kind of outrage you want right and that's what we're getting and that's what people don't understand because the stats are important knowing what the stats are with black on black crime, which makes any of this whole, you know, the cops are targeting blacks a joke because who's really targeting blacks are other blacks. But the cop that did the TikTok video, his name was Officer Nate Sylvester. Oh, I love that guy. Yes, he was. Please tell me he got another job somewhere. You know, he was on with Glenn Beck. I watched this, which I haven't been watching a lot of Beck lately, but he was on for about 10 minutes. And he was one happy that he had his commander, whoever's right above him, was backing him, even though he was suspended for a week or so, that this they understood for the people that are at least within his police department. They're like, okay, if this is the backlash over a TikTok video, what's going to happen if there's a situation where there's actually a police officer shooting? You know, you you have to back your people up when they're right. We've talked about this a lot. Now, if somebody does something that is so completely wrong or so completely idiotic and it costs somebody their life, well, they need to be held responsible for that. Yeah. But the beauty that's, that's the fine line to walk is it is absolutely critical, not just for police, but for any job anywhere is when your people are doing your right. You've got to back them up. If you don't back them up. They are in a shitty job and are going to leave. The point where it turns into corruption is if you back them when they're not right. And and there's always going to be plenty of stories about this. You find, you know, half of them on on one side of the political spectrum and half on the other. Everybody's going to highlight it. But the the really good boss is the one who's like, you did right today. Good boy. You did bad today. 
slap on the nose. Right. You got to you have to have standards and you have to hold up to them. In this case, the guy made a funny video that was not racist in the least. It was not offensive in the least. It was him, you know, pretending to roll up on a situation where there was a knife fight. And he's like, oh, get LeBron. Tell LeBron to call me quick. I need to talk to LeBron. And then he's like, oh, yeah, there's 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 a guy with the knife. What should I do? Oh, well, they're both black. What does that matter? Oh, okay. And the whole point was that, you know, LeBron, if it was black on black crime, didn't care about it. He he wasn't even trying to touch the political third rail. He was goofing on a basketball player who already went outside of his lane. Yes, that was exactly what it was. But of course, he got suspended for that. Now, the beautiful thing was one of his friends set up a GoFundMe because if you're suspended, I guess you don't get paid, which makes sense in most jobs. Otherwise, we would all like to be suspended with full pay. I don't really believe that with government jobs. It depends, I suppose. Maybe it's different for police, but most government jobs, if you know, if you get caught for blatant corruption, they'll be like, well, we're going to suspend him for six months with full pay. Yeah, it's like, yes, please. I'd like that job and I'd like to be completely corrupt like, so I can wait, be suspended. So you mean you mean uh, I'll go ahead and accomplish nothing all day, but this time I get to do it at home instead of having to commute okay. and, get, and get paid Yeah, with bonuses, probably. Uh But the guy that set up a GoFundMe for him was just hoping to cover, you know, the week's expenses, whatever it was. And uh, at the last that uh, Beck was looking at this the other day, it was over four hundred thousand dollars. I believe he's like, I don't know what police officers make. He's like, but I think this is more than one week's salary for you. And uh, the cop did talk about setting up something that would help other people involved in this kind of stuff. And this is what we need to do. As a society, that four hundred thousand dollars—that is—that's that's a tip on Twitter. Yes, it is. That is exactly what it is. It is a tip for people that went. You know what? We thought this video you made was funny. This is like the ultimate value for value because the guy made like a four-minute video. Well, you, you know, you asked me. You okay? Earlier in this show, you asked me a direct question where you said, uh, "Why do you think people would tip like this or something like that?" And then you didn't pause and you just kept going. And I decided to wait until you went and you kept going and then you switched topics. So I let the question <laughs> drop, but I did have an answer for you. Oh, okay. Let's go back. <laughs> I don't, we don't have to go back. I don't care. I was just going to point out that, that the tipping is exactly like the, the value for value model. It is, it is, I have done something and I put it out here and I think you're going to find value in it. And, uh, the tip jar is saying, if you found value in what I just did, go ahead and put some value in this tip jar. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. It's, it's the same, uh, model that, that we use here. It's a model that no agenda uses. And it's the model that, uh, you know, if, if you take out things like, uh, you know, having to sh- share tips with, uh, the, the restaurant owner or something. It's things that waitresses and waiters have been doing for decades. True. It's, it's, I am going to provide you service with the expectation that on the honor system, you will give me back what you thought it was worth. And it, the, the fact that it works is a, uh, a, a, it's a commentary about how, you know, it, it's a reason to still have faith in humanity because I, I know this is going to sound weird because I'm skeptical about so so many things, but I honestly think that most people are genuinely honest, good people who want to help each other out when they can. 
and as long as you don't give them a reason not to yes um it, it's you know i'm i i am at heart an optimist and the the tipping model is one of the uh, is evidence for that the fact that people will go out and say yeah i know you gave this to me for free and you didn't demand any payment but i feel like i should pay you anyway because it was a value to me now the question is if this guy isn't suspended the officer how many people find a way to tip him for that little viral video probably almost zero but you're right i think people overall are good in this oh wait he's getting screwed over this little video now i'm mad we have to anger people that we have to yeah that that was certainly part of it (laughs) the the angering people i think the the getting suspended made it go viral far far more than just putting out the video putting out the video you're just uh you know, here's yet another video that it was kind of cute. It was, you know, let's share it as a meme. Uh, it's kind of entertaining. But I mean, at any given time, you browse a social network, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or or Mastodon, and you're going to be awash in a seam sea of entertaining and poignant memes. But then when you're like, oh, this guy got screwed, that is an injustice. Then, you, you know, everybody gets their internal outrage fueled. And that that kicks people into action a lot more than just chuckling over something. Yes, and the GoFundMe, I just pulled it up here, up to $510,000. I so, say good for him. Yeah, we need to, uh, and I think we just need to uh, to anger people about something so they send us yeah. a lot Why of Why keep trying? <laughs> Why are you not all pissed off about everything I ever say? We're working. That might be the better. I, we need to do that. <laughs> we need to do that. We need to, can we just, I mean, Maybe Adam Curry can get involved and he can like throw us off the no agenda stream and that way people oh, will yeah. rally you think behind us. Get, that might be the, the the trick to to getting over to the next threshold of donations. Is uh, Adam, if you're listening, can can you go ahead and and have your stream guy throw us off the stream? Just you know, <laughs> yes. Be, tell tell him you will not take no I for an answer. I hear he's a dick and he also takes bribes. Yes. So there you go. I mean, I was quite intrigued that. Adam Curry called into the Hog Story podcast yesterday, probably was just because you were on or because Fletcher just recently emailed him. I think him. it's because because Fletcher sent the mail. I think that, that Adam has. <laughs> uh, it, Adam appreciates a whole lot of things that Fletcher has done for, for the community in the past. And I think that uh, because Fletcher requested it, it, I mean, you know, me being on is, is of course, the, um, the catalyst. has absolutely nothing to do with it. No, it was a catalyst. I think that uh, Adam uh, knew. We could maybe. Do you think Adam actually knew that I'd be on? No. <laughs> Do you think he had any clue at all? I doubt it. I, w- I would like to have Adam Curry here on Grumpy Old Benz as well. We have not asked him yet because we've been waiting for John C. Dvorak first because that was what our I, experts we, demanded. We could be waiting a very long time. I know. He said this month, so I will after yeah. after the colon cleanse on Monday. Well, I don't I don't want to be the one badgering, especially after on no agenda the the rant about we don't want to be on other people's podcasts. This is our day job <laughs> and we don't want to do free stuff for yeah. Okay, you know, I, I I understand where you're coming from. I I and if if that's how you feel about it, I don't want to be the one badgering him, but I would really love to have that conversation and I think that uh you know, we could all benefit from just getting together and chatting about whatever it is you want to chat about. So uh john and adam you are always welcome to come on grumpy old bens we would love to have you we would even uh you know, let you pick the stories if you like but I, i'm i'm not going to to sit here and and continually badger people about it if they don't want to come on then then they don't need to come on yeah we're pretty low they've key. got their own show and i will 
go uh, i will go the low route and to point out that the show that john c dvorak chose to be on instead of grumpy old ben's on april 8th still has not been released on youtube so um, <laughs> yeah that didn't help much we have more listeners than zero. I mean, I can guarantee. I know we have don't have a lot of listeners. Well, yeah, but it's, <laughs> if 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 John made a commitment to be I on know. this other show first, I know. I, John is an honorable guy and is going to honor commitments that he's made, yeah. even if if somebody much much bigger decides to make the offer later. Is like I already did this. I'm sorry. No, I agree. Which is why I believe, unlike our friend over in the EU who don't believe Dvorak come on our show, I do believe that within this month john c dvorak will be on and you can book that we'll see hopefully i'm right but uh with that well, said it won't, won't be this monday no it won't be see now that would be funny dvorak's like oh <laughs> oh neil's not gonna be on great let me be on the show <laughs> that yeah. would be great I, I come out of the fog of uh, you know having the colonoscopy oh, yeah, <laughs> and it's like what dvorak was on no no, if you got wind during your colonoscopy that Dvorak was going to be on, you'd be like, somebody hand me a microphone. I got to get on the stream. I mean, I would be completely uh, un- unintelligible with whatever. Which would the- be fantastic content. It would be. Hey, John. Oh, dude. Glad you glad you came on the show. This is awesome. So I, I just wanted to throw out. Uh, I, I was going to bring him during the last story, but you were really on a roll about uh, I had some follow up statistics that came from the analytics firm Flurry about the Apple app tracking setting. And you mentioned this setting uh, with regards to the fact that Facebook hates it. Yes. Um, and we uh, the last time that we talked about this, I went and looked it up because I do like having show notes I can grab on Grumpy Old Ben's number 132, where Facebook was livid and and we were talking about the the new dialogues that facebook was popping up saying uh you know you'd you're you're going to see a dialogue asking you to turn on tracking and here's why you should turn it on it's so that we can track you right Uh, i mean facebook didn't say it quite that way but that's what it said well according to the analytics firm flurry um uh, as of uh, this week uh four percent of the users in the united states have turned it on Wait, now uh, 4% have opted out or there is no, only 4 no, that have said 96% yes. have done absolutely nothing and the iOS 14 update blocked all tracking with that of that type. Oh, okay, so it blocked it and only Four, 4% overrode yeah. that. 4% of it heeded the Facebook you have to turn this on dialog and then went into Apple and turned it on. Interesting. So 96% said, "Nah, you don't need to track me that much." So that's going to um, be losing Americans. some money for uh, Facebook globally. Uh, and I, I think this is almost more interesting. Globally, the number was almost 12 percent. It was 11 point something uh, of, of global users turned it on. So a lot of people outside the U.S. I mean, that that's almost statistically significant that people I, I don't I don't know exactly how flurry is doing analytics. I imagine it has to do with hooking into uh, SDK calls and, uh, you know, de- determining whether or not it's on per app so this will depend on what apps you have installed but i find it interesting that 12 percent of global users are turning on this tracking while only four percent of u.s users are well they're probably afraid that they're going to have to pay for facebook could be like oh I'm, no i can't afford that but i have I'm, to admit i'm afraid that i'm going to have to pay for facebook and i don't use facebook everybody's paying so, such is their power the the power to topple governments 
and and censor world leaders. Yes, and that was one of the big stories. I covered that on Random Thoughts this week because it came out, I think, on Tuesday, that this Facebook oversight board, which we talked about when it was put together. At the time, it was 18 people. I believe it's up to 20 now. It's, It's 20 now. And all of them are like 19 are leftists. There's one pseudo conservative from the Cato Institute, but that person was a never Trumper. So more or less, you had 20 people that did not like Donald Trump deciding his fate. And the most interesting thing was how this story was reported, which was that, oh, well, of course, Facebook was right to do this. They upheld it. But of course, that's not exactly what this group of 20 ultra liberal people said. Even they admitted that Facebook violated their own terms of service to do this to Donald Trump. And they said, you know, if you're going to make this a permanent ban, then you really need to have some kind of guidelines that you can point to, because otherwise, as has been happening ever since this happened, everybody on the right is going, hey, well, Maxine Waters said this or, hey, this person said this and you don't do anything. There's a lot of what aboutism going yes. on out there. It, I mean, it, it, what the the statement from the oversight board, and I, I hate the phrase oversight board. That is so Orwellian almost. But um, it, what what they said effectively, at least the way I read it, was, uh, "Oh, actually, you pretty much totally are douchebags for having done." I mean, obviously, we agree that Trump needs to be banned, no matter what the reason. But you didn't do it right. That was kind of what I read into it. Well, he actually needs to violate a policy if you're going to take action, which is well, that is you're assuming that they care about the rule of law. Well, I feel like for a lot of people these days, the rule of law is a facade, especially people in the the ends justify the means political party where it the, the rule of law is a facade to try to convince people that they're respectable, but they throw it out at any opportunity where. Uh oh well you know we know that we have rules about this and uh but but it's obviously right that we ban this person so we're going to do it anyway and it's the reason why it is so incredibly easy to find examples of hypocrisy because it a part of the ideology is we are going to follow the rule of law right up until we decide that following rules reaches the wrong conclusion and then we're going to throw out the rules because the conclusion is more important right and Bill O'Reilly's producers pulled out a clip that was still on social media from Black Lives Matter. And this was going back about four years, I believe, that had Black Lives Matter protesters marching, saying pigs in a bacon fry or pigs, uh, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon or something like that, which that sounds like you're calling for violence against the police. But that's OK. You know, this is the kind of stuff that's allowed. But then you look at what they're using as the bar for, well, Donald Trump said, let's let's be very peaceful and walk to the Capitol. See, he was one of them to go. Oh, yeah. Violence. And uh, everything (laughs) about that is anybody anybody who calls January 6th an insurrection or or terror or violence is uh, automatically either or badly misinformed or is mischaracterizing it for political purposes because it's not. And I will. 
have that discussion with you, but we've already had it here on this show. I think anybody listening probably realizes that it was not an insurrection. And compared to a lot of the other things that happened in the same year, it wasn't even remotely. There was no domestic terrorism. It was anyway. Well, yeah, but the problem is, is they're still actively searching for people. No, they're going after the people that were there and that went into the Capitol. The FBI has got man hours up the ass going after these people, but they do nothing about what happened in Chicago or Portland or Seattle. Nothing. Those riots, nothing. The violence there, nothing. FBI is a bought and paid for tool uh, for political retribution. We knew this. Yeah. And it's getting worse. Is that possible? I mean, it seems like it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, you know, at some point they put the lightning bolt icons on their uniform and just start uh, charging. <laughs> I mean, you know, at some point we're going to have uh, police charging around with, you know, papers, papers, please. Why are you out of your house? And and then suddenly we're Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, there was a stat that I heard the other day again on Bill O'Reilly show, which is a great news program. I know people hate when I mention them that only three percent of canadians have been able to get the vaccination which okay you can have the argument all day long whether you want it or not i don't care the fact is right now in the united states the latest stat was 75 percent already had at least one of the two shots for those or had the johnson and johnson 75 percent of the people in the united states have taken a vaccine at least one shot at this point three percent in canada and I had such, no idea. That I've is, never heard that before. That's right? crazy. It's a, it's a, when you think about it, I mean, you think like, well, no, Canada is a not a third world country. You don't oh, normally. They're, they're trying. Yes. You don't normally think about Canada as being that far behind the curve. And if this vaccine is actually helping people not get sick and die, and I think it is for a majority of people. Yeah, there are some people that are still dying from I mean, the vaccine. And there, there's there's a lot of people out there who uh, internationally who want the vaccine and got really, really angry when Trump decided to pull up his, uh, you know, put, pull, pull his authority and say, we're reserving this many doses for the United States. And then Biden continued that Trump program. Right. And, for now, there's a lot of people out there who are like, uh, excuse me, but um free market we're even willing to pay more could you maybe free up some doses yeah only three percent which is compared to 75 we could we could double the number of total number of vaccinated canadians if we just took all of the extra doses in the u.s that that uh, all the republicans don't want to take anyway and we just load them into slingshots and send a volley across the border we could probably vaccinate another three percent of canadians that way and we are getting there there, the amount of I reported this, I think, on random thoughts that our local Meyer chain was doing walk ins. Other of the pharmacies have started doing this now, which is you don't even have to make an appointment, just walk in. There's a pretty good chance oh, yeah. you can get the vaccine. This is how my, prevalent it is now. My, my grocery store pharmacy has like the there's the the name Safeway on the front of the building in probably 10 foot tall letters. And then there's a banner in letters that are at least 60% larger than that that says, <laughs> get your vaccine here, no line or something like that. Yeah. And I know my wife works in a, a store that sells a tile and one of their reps 
came are, in. Are they giving vaccines too? No, but one of their reps from Italy came in because he wanted to get the vaccine and he was able to get the vaccine because uh, he was here you know, from Italy and was able to get it because they will give you the vaccine. They don't care. There, if you're here in the United States, which maybe isn't, you know, the rush of getting people across the border right now, as far as the migration in, that could be a big part of it. Like they want the vaccine. And the Canadians, I'm surprised they're not at the border trying to break down the walls. Well, to nobody's come in. allowed to get through the border. We we have more effective border <laughs> wall between the U.S. and Canada than we do between U.S. and Mexico by far. Well, yeah, but, you know, Mexican food is good. Is Canadian it's not, food? It's not political no. to let all the Canadians flood in and vote because they don't they can't be certain they'll all vote Democrat. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, we might we might go the other way. You know, let's get a Tim Hortons in a donut and think about this. <laughs> Okay, now you're being racist. <laughs> no, it's not. That's not a race. I'm being nationalist. <laughs> oh, oh, well, that's even worse. There's Trumper. a big difference. Oh. There's a big difference. Uh, uh, so, so the 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 notes that I pulled on the Facebook oversight board was I read uh, this. It was in the National Pulse, who are a conservative rag, and of course, the reason you have to get stories like this from the conservative rag is that none of the leftist rags right. are going to cover it. Yeah, they don't give you any of it. They. They pulled the list of every one of the 20 people on the Facebook oversight board and looked up and and just basically decided to be all paparazzi and dig up dirt on every one of these people and published it. And I appreciate that. But uh, some of the conclusions they came to was uh, of those 20 people, 19 of them have made public anti-Trump statements, usually on Twitter. Uh, five of them are American. Four of those have do- donated to the Democrat Party. Um, some of the people in the list are, and, and I'm not going to name names, but uh, there is a uh, one person who self-identifies as a critical race feminism researcher. <laughs> um, there is a former member of the Open Society Initiative Board of Directors. Um, you, you know who the Open Society Initiative is? Do I need to yes, say that? Soros. Yes, um, there is a member of Human Rights Watch, which is also Soros. Um, there is a director for the Center for Law and Policy Research, which focuses on, quote, transgender rights, gender equality and public health. So not really seeing that be a particularly conservative. Um, there's a Stanford law professor who testified at Trump's impeachment. Oh, yes. Um, there are former contributors to Al Jazeera and The Guardian. Uh, there is a former aide to Kamala Harris. Uh, there is a former leader of the Socialist Democrat Party of Denmark. Um, and the only Republican on this is uh, a guy who is a professor of constitutional law at Stanford. Uh, he's the only one who hasn't written public anti-Trump statements. Um, he's not the one that, that was a, is a libertarian in the Cato Institute because she has also written public anti-Trump statements, but uh, here's some of the quotes that they pulled out because what they pulled out was, was actual. uh, And obviously the uh, article will be in the show notes, but uh, so you can read all the details on every one of these. If you really want to, I mean, you know, every salacious detail. Yeah. If you people like following celebrities, here's some celebrities who deserve your attention. Um, Here's a quote. I don't trust Trump because I generally don't trust racist people or the rich pampered prodigal prodigal, sanctimonious incurious white straight ones of the powerful do pretty well everywhere in the world and they always have but what about us snarky bisexual jewish women who want the freedom to say what we think read what we want and love what we do this is this was this was a public statement by one of them 
Well, because they know if you're on the left, none of that will ever be meaningfully used against you. Yeah. Uh, Trump's trill is a disgrace to the United States and an affront to the most elementary principles of the rule of law. Uh, I think that Donald Trump is the jewel in the crown of the far right, fascist, xenophobic right wing groups that exist. Who got a vaccine made when everybody said it couldn't be done. <laughs> or uh, I wish four years of Trump could go as fast as a billion years. <laughs> I mean, so, they're not even good at being snarky. No, they're not. But they're also uh, if these are the people who are giving oversight to Facebook, then is there any any expectation that anything at Facebook could possibly be neutral? No. And that is the sad part, because this was just put together within the last year or so. So, you know, if Facebook wanted to make an honest group of people with different viewpoints, they could have picked a much more. I mean, I thought diversity was important to the left, but no, well, there is diversity. They've got they've got right. people from not uh, diversity with, of thought, though. No, no. They've got people with with yellow skin. They've got people with dark skin. They've got people with red skin. They've got, uh, you know, people who are Asians. They've got people who are uh, a lot of people who are black. Um, it turns out I want to say 16 of the 20 are women. So there's diversity there. Uh, yeah. Wait, no, I think that's lack of diversity. No, 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 no. You're not thinking as a leftist. Oh, sorry. I will. Uh, we certainly uh... diversity means you minimize the role of white males. Oh, right. Because the world will be a much better place if we just yeah. get rid of all those bad white males. See, wait. OK, this is a, this is a dry donation drive. We are poor white males here at Grumpy Old Benz. Remember us at Grumpy dot com slash donate because they're trying to cancel us. Only your support can keep us from being canceled. But my support. You're so screwed. <laughs> yeah, we need your support. Uh, the Facebook thing, though, is just a small example of things that are going on overall in the country, because I don't think this is still the way the average person thinks. We have gotten to a point because of social media and because of the Internet that we've allowed very few voices to amplify to the point that people take them seriously where before the internet you never would because who would hear how would these people be getting their viewpoints across if there was no internet the internet has changed things a lot over the past decade or so that allows these nut jobs on both sides to make it appear like they have an audience and a lot of the time I think that is more smoke and mirrors than anything else. And this, to me, was pointed out in a story. We also talked about the FCC and what they could or couldn't do with net neutrality. We know under Trump that the laws were changed. Of course, Biden came in and they changed that again. But do you remember at that one point in 2017 where they opened up their website? to get comments about the net neutrality thing the fcc did and yes they received 22 million comments on their website yes uh, most of which were boilerplate but even the ones that had some text in it they had to go through individually so they they ended up if i recall 
they ended up closing comments after only a couple days and then spending the next several months going through them. And this is the result of that. Out of that 22 million comments, the FCC is now saying 18 million were fake. So 4, 4 million real comments. Honestly, 18- I believe that. Yeah. And uh, especially, especially, I think it counted in the 18 million is, is going to be like all the people from Reddit, for example, uh, who were just told by everyone on there, you need to go fill out this form. And here's a boilerplate you can fill out to make sure your voice is heard because your voice needs to be exactly the same as the rest of the hive mind. And yeah, yeah, that would be counted as fake. Yeah. Hive mind. Very serious. The attorney general, Letitia James found, quote, more than 8.5 million fake comments that impersonated real people were submitted to the FCC and more than a half a million fake letters sent to Congress. But this shows you again with your information out there in those databases we keep talking about. Where do you think that's being used? Somebody probably submitted a comment for you, for me, for everybody listening. Yeah, somebody wants to send a letter writing campaign. They don't need to organize a whole bunch of people. They just go buy a database on the dark web of addresses and names. And the concept (laughs) that the federal government was paying any attention to comments posted on a website. Holy crap. Some people are a bit naive when it comes to the Internet. (laughs) You think a bit? (laughs) And this is an issue. I mean, they're making policy based upon comments. It's like you cannot do that. I think they said that there were millions that were tracked down to one like 19 year old college student. So, I mean, this is <laughs> I'm not that surprised at all. No, no, I think that the you know, the the best evidence that they can use to put into that decision is by tracking the uh, sheer and utter collapse of the Internet that has occurred ever since we didn't do the thing that they said we had to or the Internet would collapse. And it and, didn't. And, yeah. I, oh, wait, you're right. There's still an Internet. And like, at, that's the best evidence that that maybe we didn't need this law. Well, not only that, we still have an Internet. But the pandemic came around when we didn't have these, oh, these draconian laws that the left loves since Trump had removed these and everybody's Internet still just kept working when everybody start working from home and all of this, this concept it, that. You're going to be charged more. You're not going to be able to watch your Netflix or whatever kind of scare tactics they were using. Um, no. In theory, my Internet even got faster. Uh, even though there was uh, apparently no laws per- requiring that. Right. And well, and there's a lot of people will take the aspect uh, looking at this because we talked about Xfinity has been boosting people's speeds. And that's what I use. I know there are other cable companies out there. Just not in my area, which is also part of the problem. But Xfinity keeps increasing the speeds and not raising the price. And people will be like, well, they're just doing that because they don't want competition. It's like, well, yeah, but isn't that good for the people using the service? So, you know, again, we're well, I mean, monopolies are uh, have an amazing potential to be bad. I guess the there's the argument to be made of uh, if they're a monopoly, but they're not doing evil. Is it really a problem? And you can come in if you want to compete with them, but you have to spend the money to do it. This is one of the more intriguing things when it comes to things like Internet is I believe the laws are still out there where you can be a third party and start up Bemrose's Internet service. 
and you just go to Comcast and they have to give you, you know, rent their lines to you or whatever it is to where you can offer a service, even though you have no infrastructure, you're just definitely. It depends on the municipality, but there are certainly places out there where they do have the, the, the I think they're the common carrier rules. No, that's not. Might be. I don't, yeah, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. There, there are a number of places, a lot of municipalities where uh, the you a, a the company who puts in the lines, the, the physical pull, lines and poles, they don't want every single ISP that comes along to put up a new set of poles. That's a damn eyesore. Everybody knows that. So they say, well, if you're in order, you know, as a condition for getting the permits to put up your poles, if somebody else comes along and needs to use them, you'll just let them use your lines. Right. It's easier. But that's what we had for for a few years. There was and this still happens. I mean, you can get even though our electricity is provided here in the Illinois Chicago area by Commonwealth Edison, ComEd. There are third parties that come in that will offer Constellation Energy was one of them that offered to lock you in at a rate if you paid them for like a two year contract or something like that, that, hey, we'll lock your electricity rate into this for the next two years. And you just basically say, yes, you sign up with them. And the craziest thing was you still got the paperwork bill. From Commonwealth Edison, it just said your supplier was somebody else. And you know the electricity is coming from the same place. It's being produced in the same place. The lines are the same lines. You're just now paying a different company because they're able to sell the electricity because, like you said, the common carry, whatever this law is, that the utility has to give them the ability to do so. So they're buying in bulk, I guess. So that's how they yeah. can buy in bulk from the ComEd or whatever and then sell it to you for less than ComEd is. And this it, this is the, the same system that that in allowed people to significantly lower their their electrical bills in Texas by paying whatever the prevailing wholesale rate was, which was a really <laughs> great deal for most of the time, right up until the wholesale rate spiked to like nine thousand dollars a kilowatt. Yeah, until it was nine thousand dollars an hour to. Yeah, something like that to run something. Which is, yeah, an issue, but they just closed another nuclear plant in New York because, you know, nuclear bad. Yeah, because New York was, is desperately trying to reenter the third world. We get that. <laughs> they are trying. Well, they're I don't know. They seem to be trying to lower their population, which might not be a bad idea. But I digress. Uh, yes. On, on the last show, you you even brought evidence of that where they're losing seats in the census. Yeah. Which is intriguing. Texas is gaining. Florida is gaining. Uh, Tennessee, I can see why people are digging Tennessee, although that is starting to turn into a little bit more of a a liberal hotbed as well. But the states where. That's all seat sitters doing. Yeah, it could be. Cersor seat sitter. Cersor, yes. The, you know, you don't have state income taxes in some of these areas. You have very low cost of living, although Nashville has gone way up. Over the past few years for states that don't have a state income tax. I mean, we're just doing our taxes now. I mean, Illinois is. Yeah. Washington, they don't have a state income tax. Washington does not have a state income tax. And it is a bone of contention every single year as the Democrats try to bring one in. And uh, a bunch of people all have to remind them that the state constitution prohibits an income tax. Well, that's good. 
That is good. Although that means you just pay a lot of value added. Well, taxes there have things. been more than one push to change the Constitution. And as of yet, there have been enough people who are like, ah, I don't think so, that, that they haven't been able to change the Constitution yet. But they keep trying. Well, yeah, as more and more as more and more people come in and realize the government needs to get bigger. They will. Uh, yes, they'll do that. Yes, too. we we the government needs to get bigger so that we can provide more funds to uh, giving your streets over to homeless camps. The uh, booty steed says or bully steed, same thing that 11 percent sales tax out by you in Washington. That's about what it is here in the Chicago area. And we have a state income tax. So, you know, this this concept, too, that well, Joe Biden said he's not going to. People that make $4,000 and under will not have to pay one penny in income tax. I mean, I know what he meant to say, but he specifically said, if you make under 400000 you won't have to pay any in one yeah, I penny. I think he meant under $400 a year. Probably. What he meant to say was, you won't be going up, but he doesn't know the what, difference between- What he between- really wanted to say was, uh, all you rubes, guess what? We're just going to take your money. Yeah. But- well, we're going to take your money in one way, shape, or form, and we're seeing yeah. this because gas prices have gone up, and for those who are morons, and I don't think we have any listening to us, but there are people in the country and in the world, I guess, that don't understand if gas goes up a dollar a gallon, that means all of your groceries are going up. That means everything you have to buy is going up yeah. because they have to get moved from place to place in a vehicle, and they're yeah, not electric. People, people who There are a lot of people out there who are like, we have to kill all fossil fuels no matter what the cost. Well, the cost is that for you know more than any other industry, you know, economies are incredibly complex. And every time something happens in one part of the economy, it affects other parts of the economy. That's how it works. But energy even more so than anything else. Every time that you make the cost of energy go up by a dollar, that cost must necessarily go to every other part of the economy because every part of the economy relies on energy. So, yeah, if if gas goes up a dollar, then every single good is going to have to go up. There was a chart floating around No Agenda Social of, of the I think Sir Gene was posting it showing all of the products that have gone up, not like in the last year, but in the last 100 days, you know. Since the the usurper <laughs> ended up in the White House. Yeah, Joe. Just the, the number of products that have gone up incredibly high. Just everything is getting straight up more expensive. And regular people are going to start really feeling it at the grocery store. And for the most part, because they're not being informed by anything resembling news media, they're not going to have any idea why. They'll just be like, well, I guess everything's getting more expensive these days. And it's it's because. Um, because energy prices are going up because the price of everything's going up because, uh, you know, so far, what, what the hell have the Democrats spent is something like $11 trillion in the last hundred days. Yeah. And want to push for more and more. And a lot of that and, money is leaving where the country. Do you think that money's coming from. Yeah. It's coming from you. Now, if they were smart, they would have invested in uh, Dogecoin and then just pulled it all out at the, uh, at the top, but that wouldn't be the government way. They just keep taking money from us. And you can say, and some people will still try to make that argument of, well, it's not really a tax. I mean, just because your groceries all went up because of the gas price going up, well, that's not really the government taxing you. It's like, no. No, it is. No, what inflation is, it makes the money that you have held worth less. Yes. Which means that it is effectively a tax on saved money right it's like why we keep comparing what uh, bitcoin is compared to the u.s dollar because that means something 
I mean, there's a lot of people out there. You know, Dvorak loves talking about the, the instituting a wealth tax and you don't need to do Lots of people have really bad reactions to the idea of what do you mean you're going to tax my savings? Well, they're doing that. They're not calling it a wealth tax because every single time the Federal Reserve prints another trillion dollars and, and they don't even they don't even have to print physical money anymore. They just flip some bits in a database and another trillion dollars enters the economy and goes straight to the big banks where it's supposed to trickle down. Well, that money is not made out of thin air. You're causing inflation, which makes all money less. And the effect is your savings are becoming worth a lot less so that they can create new money and give it to the people they want. And that's what a tax is. They're taking your money away and giving it to somebody else. That's a tax. Inflation does the same thing. It just does it more invisibly. It's harder to tell. It's harder to see it. What if the government created Bitcoin and they're just taking all that money out? Um, well, then, uh, then maybe there's something that the government has done right. <laughs> right that would I'm, be I'm like, skeptical. That would be the only thing. You're right. Um, the, the craziest comment I saw this week, not really a grumpy old Ben's topic, except we bitched about it plenty in the past when it came to the Russian involvement. Uh, Hillary Clinton now said that there was Russian Russian involvement, if not influence. Or interference in Brexit, so it's not just what's going on here in the United States. The Russians, oh, those darn Russians! Is there anything in the world that they can't be blamed for? You know, the Russians should be way, way higher on the food chain out of these uh, superpowers in the world. Because I, I, honestly, if I wanted to move to a free country, Russia's looking pretty goddamn good these days. Yeah. Um, we're giving them a lot of credit for their tech skills because they changed the elections in the United States. They caused Brexit to happen all because why? That's the question. What is what is Russia getting out of these things that uh, that Hillary really she's got some kind of disease. Maybe she just really has dreams about Putin or something, some really steamy sex dreams. And she just wants to keep talking about Russia in the hopes that uh, her and Vlad can have a drop down or something. I'm not going to lie to you. I want out of this conversation now. <laughs> you want to eject as quick as possible. Hey, I don't blame you. There are some things that are uncomfortable. I, I, are there any experts we can, you know, that I can segue to so that we, I don't have to think about Hillary Clinton's fever dreams. Well, again, I will tell people they should go to grumpy old Ben's slash donate because only one did over the wow. last few days. Only one expert today. And okay, uh, show's over. <laughs> <laughs> click and there just play the play the outro and we will go out no but we first have to thank 420 taxi coming in at 50 dollars. so it's not a total loss an executive producer hit the mark and you could have had an executive producership today 420 taxi for five cents but your 50 dollars is greatly appreciated the note don't tell people that he comes in with keep on rocking that 97 gui which so he likes the concept of your software the chapter software I, that you yeah, said you was, know I, I feel like windows ui peaked at windows forms it is well it, it, it's to be fair i used that piece of software like i said for the first time and i had no problem with the user interface it worked that is i think first and foremost it wasn't pretty but it worked and that's really all it needs to do which is all i'm capable of doing and all i care to do <laughs> i am not a designer you know this yes i mean all you're doing at that point is adding 
to the file size to make things look pretty. There's a lot of things that all you need is the functionality. And a lot of these things that people do today is just, well, we want it to look pretty. And that is adding extra code. That is not something that is needed. It is not efficient. There's often bugs that can be in that extra little code. I was going through some old drives the other day and remembered the day, which wasn't that long ago, to round the corners on boxes like forms and stuff required like a JavaScript plugin and all the. It's like, wow, that was that, that seems like so long oh, yeah. ago. It's just a CSS property now, but I remember early on when websites were doing it where they they would download a static image for each corner, which is the uh-huh. rounded part, and yes. then the static image that stretched for the top and bottom and left and right. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. And it's like, wow, things have definitely changed. But that whole concept of making things pretty, not making it efficient, and we're about efficiency here on Grumpy Old Ben's. Yes, being and if I'm going to add unnecessary code, it's going to be code to track you and upload all your personal data. <laughs> Wait, you don't do that already? Well, I mean, technically, all I do is I take your personal data and I convert it into a JSON, and then I expect you to upload it yourself. It's more efficient that way. I have to do less work. Yeah, people should track themselves and just send us their information to Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N. And and believe it or not, I I honestly believe people who use this to make their chapters are going to take all of the data they enter in the app and upload it to the Internet themselves. Wow. That is definitely a privacy concern. Yes, if you if you do it, if you do a podcast and release it to the public, that's a privacy concern. You know, I'm getting a little bit jaded because there are a lot of podcasts I listen to, including the one that's probably the most listeners is the Tell Em Steve Dave podcast, which is out of the Kevin Smith family of stuff. It's uh, the guys that work at his comic book store, along with Brian, uh, uh, Brian Quinn from the Impractical Jokers. And I know. They've got hundreds of thousands of listeners, but they still don't do chapters. And I'm like, do you even know this exists? You know how much easier it would be for people to find a particular part of your show? And I'm looking at these things now and I'm like, well, why don't people have chapters? They should have, you know, it's like this has become uh, a part of this podcasting thing. So the Podfather's in my brain, man. Now I'm looking at shows. You've been infected. I have. Because you, you, you've become the good little shill for podcasting 2.0 like he knew you would. I know. And I hate it because there was a time when I'm like, well, you know, and we talked about it. Well, we like people to listen to our show from start to finish. What do we need chapters for? And it be- I, did, I mean, that was that was Adam's position six months ago. Yes. And now it's like everybody should have chapters. It makes things so much. Once you have them and realize to me, the biggest thing is it makes it easier for people to find a spot of the show, especially to clip that little portion out and post it on social media or something, which then hopefully gets you more listeners to the show. Because a lot of times, if you're listening to a podcast, you know, you're in the car, you're doing something else, you're on the bike, and you're later, you're like, oh, you know what? I'd like to post this to social media. The easiest way is not to just go and take an hour or two hour file and it scans scrubbing through a a three-hour podcast can can take a a non-trivial amount of time yes so having that ability to go right to the chapter i get it i'm i'm a fully converted person now 
to the chapter concept. There is another step for podcast makers out there and, and, uh, you know, be, do like, like Darren recommends and not like what I do. Cause when I do the chapters for grumpy old Ben's, most of the chapter titles are not necessarily something you're going to be able to figure out what we were talking <laughs> about. Very cryptic. Because the chapter titles that I make are always some snarky comment that you or I made that I thought was entertaining and funny. And so I put that down in the chapter file instead of something that would explain to you what the hell the chapter was about. See, it's very cryptic, but it's like what Brian Brushwood and Murphy just did on the Modern Rogue podcast i think it's a pod i mean it's uh on a youtube but i think it's also kind of a podcast are youtube videos are those series you would you call those podcasts i guess you could whatever you call it the modern rogue show that they had a whole thing on hobo life and the symbols that they used to use putting down in chalk so you could recognize that if a woman lived at the house or if they were an easy mark or if they would give you food or money and that's kind of what you're coming up with your own type of language that you people have to understand Bemrose to understand what those chapters mean. And if you do understand Bemrose, then you should probably be concerned. And I seek, don't understand Bemrose and seek some medical help. But 420 Taxi, thank you for being our sole executive producer today. He's after he said, uh, keep rocking that 97 GUI, he said all the best. And it is you are all the best. 420 taxi and if people don't understand yet we work on the value for value model which means if you got any value out of listening to our show you give us some value back in any way shape or form maybe it is just coming into the troll room and giving us helpful information like our buddies uh carolyn blaney will do or fletcher or digi guru maybe you come into the troll room just to be snarky like cold acid it doesn't matter that's all part of the show or if you can monetary Help is always appreciated. I mean, listen to how good Ryan Bemrose sounds now. And a big part of that was the Bemrose Microphone Fund funded by you. No, that don't do that. Do never do oh, that again. Sorry. They're not they're okay. gonna be like this guy, he's not worthy. Sorry. Thought I was muted. <laughs> the Bemrose Bidet Fund needs help, obviously. Um but the place or to I was do channeling receipt sitter. The place to do that is grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate where you can use the donate button that is the paypal button one time or monthly donation you can use the p.o box address to go the snail mail route your bank will set it up the online bill pay we don't have to pay a percentage you don't have to pay a percentage your bank will pay for an envelope and for the stamp to send it to us it's a beautiful thing no paying for checks anymore who pays for checks my mom was ordering them the other day i'm like who still buys paper checks nobody that's what you I think have? I've I think I've got a, a, a box of checks that has two checks missing that when we first opened our account in 2007, we, we you know, you get one complimentary box of checks for the new account. <laughs> You're like, OK, let me use two of these and then never go back to it. Yeah, I think I think over the years we've ended up writing two paper checks and the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, you just go to the go to the bank online. You know, they all the online websites. You just go to bill pay. Who do you want to pay this to put down grumpy old Ben's and. Well, they yeah. still have to put down my name. There was somebody oh. that has they, they send it to Grumpy Old Benz, which the bank cashes. But I mean, we probably do have to look into setting up an LLC or something like that so we could be doing business yes. as Grumpy it, Old Benz. Sad that we would have to, but I think that's going to be important at some point. I know. It's almost like we're a real show and people are donating. We keep in, resisting that. And we I know. And we keep appreciating the folks that come in. And you can also use 
the QR codes or addresses for our wallets for Ethereum, Cardano, Bitcoin. And like I said, we're not professionals, but Cardano seems to be a good place. Although you may want to wait for the next dip because that's been going on a nice upward mobility track. But of course, crypto, we're all just waiting for them to crash. But we appreciate everybody for supporting the show. And it is very much appreciated. Value for value. We hope we're giving value. At least we're trying to. I hope we're succeeding. Uh, Darren's trying to. I know. I don't know what you're doing. I mean, burping into the microphone. Um, I mean, I'm only here so I don't get fined. You're going to have a, a spectacular special show on Monday which I look forward to listening to in a drugged up haze after my colonoscopy. Yes, Um, uh, I will note that because of uh, scheduling conflicts uh, with regards to the co-host, the show will be live two hours later than usual. So it will be uh, at at 11 a.m. JCD or or 1 p.m. Chicago time. Nice. Nice. Um, I, I may or depending on whether or not I can provoke some people from the troll room to uh, connecting to clean feed and just messing around with me, who he might be live streaming at the normal time. Woo-hoo. But but the show itself with the will not be starting until uh, two hours later. Well, I'm hoping if everything goes well, that I'll be home right about 1 p.m. So I, maybe I'll be able to tune in while gorging on whatever food I can find. No, oh, that ought to be fun. Have Have you started your fasting yet? No, that doesn't start until Sunday. At one o'clock. So right about towards the end of no agenda on Sunday will be the first bottle of the magnesium citrate. And uh, I guess it's a pretty good bomb. So starting Sunday morning, about eight or nine a.m., you need to just start hitting the booze really hard so that you can (laughs) stop by one p.m. and still be good and hung over for your procedure. Yeah, pretty much. It'll be get up Sunday. No breakfast, but I'll still be happy through the rock and roll pre-show and as the day goes on you know things get more fun yes yes because having a camera inserted up my butt sounds like nothing but fun (laughs) hey you know what it's like i could podcast with ryan bembrose or i can have a camera shoved up my ass and i'm like that camera well obviously we figured out which way you lean (laughs) hey you got to make those choices in life fletcher decided to go the other way yeah uh that happened last night oh okay you guys do this together i didn't know no no i was i was i was just listening to hog story while drinking beer last night and they also had me on microphone well that was nice of them i've got uh two stories left uh one is uh the uh, epic versus apple trial started oh yeah uh, they did their their opening and i i pulled some some fun information about that. It's going to be mostly review, but uh, they a lot of stuff happened, and now they're going to go into the. They they gave all of their opening statements, which are always the sexy part of the trial. Well, yeah, and, that's uh, you can always find some stuff, and I've seen a diff- couple different articles that are like, "Why is Epic burning through a bunch of money just to stick it to Apple?" It's probably because it's fun. Well, you just answered your question. <laughs> yes, it's fun. why is Epic burning through a bunch of money just to stick it to Apple? Yes, that's uh, th- there's your reason. You asked. <laughs> you answered. Thank you. And, uh, you know, uh, as as part of Epic's uh, lead off opening statements, they said they are not suing for damages or a special deal. They are suing for change, not just for itself, but for all developers. Uh, what Epic wants out of this trial is to they want the court. 
to force Apple to allow iOS to use either uh, enable non-Apple app stores or to allow side loading, uh, which is the Mac OS model. Apple knows how to do this. They do it with Mac OS. But with iOS, if you don't jailbreak, which, of course, is, you know, violates the Apple terms of service. If you follow Apple's rules, the only way that you can possibly get an app on an iOS device is through the Apple App Store and through the Apple App Store. All money that is exchanged to any company has to go through Apple and 30 percent goes to them. Um, Epic did uh, bring uh, some some fun statistics that I'm not even sure I realized. For example, uh, the profit margin, uh, according to Apple's revenue reports from 2018 and 2019, uh, the, the profit margin for app, uh, the App Store, what would you say it is? For what Apple is making off what they're yeah. running? Uh, so just just to be clear, uh, it's the, the return of sales or the ratio of profit to net sales, well, which in, in the average company, like a really successful business will run about 20 percent. Um, somebody who does like commodities, it'll be two or three percent. Right. Well, yeah. Restaurants are usually running like about five percent. There's not a whole lot of, uh, yeah. you know, you can make some money, but it's not tons and tons. I'm guessing Apple is making at least. Three to five hundred times what uh, what they're putting in. Seventy five percent. Wow, that's a little less, but that's still. Uh, that's, well, it was it was seventy seventy five percent in twenty eighteen. It was seventy nine percent in twenty nineteen. No, so it's growing even. Yes. And, and you know we don't have that. We at least Epic didn't release that information in the trial for twenty twenty. But yeah, uh, Apple. And by the way, remember that is Apple's taking seventy five percent profit on hundreds of millions of dollars of annual revenue that passes through that store right so this is the money they're making when somebody like epic comes out puts out a game and charges ten dollars for it apple is putting them up on their play store they're giving them some infrastructure because they're hosting the file and doing the downloads but and 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 purportedly and this is a big part of apple's argument for why they charge 30 percent. they are also providing security and safety to ios users until they don't provide it where they let things slip through and then it becomes well who's responsible and and they and they don't provide it we brought a story just a couple weeks ago about the number of fleeceware apps that, that that is an app in the app store that exists for no other purpose than to put spurious charges on your apple account and uh to their credit apple did announce that they're going to start uh putting a little bit more locks on on how much apps can charge for in-app purchases and and allow you some controls like i don't want to make an in-app purchase over this amount without logging into the website or something but um the ios security uh actually again epic in in their opening salvo provided uh, a number of statements from apple's own emails of people talking about the app store quotes like uh they are more like the pretty lady who greets you with a lay at the hawaiian airport than they are the drug sniffing dog uh App review is bringing a plastic butter knife to a gunfight. Um, yes, sometimes they catch things, but you should regard them as little more than the equivalent of the TSA at the airport. Uh, that is slamming the TSA. Yeah. I think we all know it. Uh, we, we are dumbfounded or and I'm dumbfounded with how this could be missed talking about one particular app. Uh, we are building fire sprinklers, but we need to also pick up a hose. So even Apple internal mails, which, you know, this is, of course, uh, like I said, the sexy and juicy part 
of of any of these big trials is is they do discovery, which means they get to subpoena a lot of internal stuff. And Epic's lawyers are bringing out Apple's internal own internal statements saying uh, even you guys know that your app store security is a joke. So don't give us the argument that you're providing security. Well, yeah, because you expect them to be able to look at every little nook and cranny of an app. And I believe it was Apple or maybe it was the Google Play Store, but I think maybe it was both that had a big issue where people were submitting legitimate apps without the malware and that in them. And then once they were approved, then a future update, which were hardly looked at, I guess, is when yeah. they start sneaking the stuff in. Yeah. Oh, look, here's here's an incremental update. We changed the UI in your change log. And so they check the UI. They're like, this is all cool. But they don't really check the code where they also added uh, a tr- bu- tracking bug and uh, something that that send, you know, I don't know, sends payments or something. Uh, they don't they don't do the the thorough reviews, if they happen at all, only happen on the very first submission. Right. Yeah. Um, another another fun email they pulled out. This one was from 2013 from Eddie Q to uh, Tim Apple and a couple of the other execs uh, who said, quote, the more people use our stores, the more likely they are to buy additional Apple products and upgrade to the latest versions. Who's going to buy a Samsung phone if they have apps, movie, etc. already purchased? Now they need to spend hundreds more to get to where they are today. So even in 2013, when uh, they were discussing the App Store, it, Epic is using that to demonstrate that Apple executives knew damn well they were creating a walled garden for the purpose of locking people in. And that's Epic's entire argument is that, that Apple is is using its monopoly powers to lock people in to charging or to paying the exorbitantly high fees in the app store for Apple to have a free revenue stream that they, you know, and, and they're, they're calling out the profit margin number as, uh, as evidence that this, and I got to admit that profit margin number is really disgusting. Uh, one thing that Apple pointed out and I was quick to think of too, is, um, your, your operating margin number does not count any capital or investment or fixed costs, which means among other things that doesn't count any of the uh, software development work, which frankly, being a software company, that is where a large number of their costs go. So I don't think that, that Apple shareholders and executives are profit are, are pocketing 75% of that. I think they, you know, they're, they are doing some software development, right? And they're making less many- on their hardware as well. But how many new features? Well, it does count hardware. That's a marginal cost. But um, how many new features are are they developing for iOS? Uh, when, when they add new features, that's a fixed cost. It doesn't get counted into it. When they do things like uh, maintenance, like IT, like uh, keeping the servers up, that's that's a marginal cost. That's an ongoing thing. When you run a big data center, hardware isn't a capital investment. It's it's a consumable. Right. But I mean, when we're talking about the profit, we're not even looking at what they make on phones. We know this is where the gravy is that. Oh, yeah. What they're making oh, oh, on a phone yes. is minimal compared to what they're making as far as a profit margin. On- uh, selling the phones is an entirely different business unit. And right. uh, somewhere around five years ago, I don't I don't have the exact statistics, but uh, at least as of today. Uh, the money made on the Apple App Store 
is an order of magnitude higher than what they make on selling the hardware now. Well, you look um, at what companies like Sony did, which was, oh, we'll sell the, you know, the PlayStation machine. I remember when they originally came out, like, how can they sell them that cheap? Well, because you're going to buy games and that's going to make them money and you're going to buy their online thing and that's going to make them money. So there are times where they will just try to get the and Apple because of this walled garden concept. They want you to have an iPad. They want you to have an iPhone. They want you to have a Mac. They want you to have all this. So you stay in the walled garden. So the concept of selling the hardware, although nobody's going to say Apple's selling it cheap, that is sadly nowhere near where they're bringing in the most money. No, no. And and I I don't know if anybody remembers this, but uh, back in 2008, when they were first introducing the app store for the, the, I I think it was the iPhone two, but it was, it was early on. Um, And Steve jobs went up on stage and said, uh, you know, don't worry about uh, the, the app store is not going to be our profit margin. We're not even making that much money on it. The 30% is just the cost of keeping the servers running, but we are a hardware company and we still make all of our money on hardware. Um, That was 2008. And that was Steve jobs projecting his reality distortion. Um, Did anybody believe that? Oh, sure. Lots of people did for a Um, while. In 2008, they were charging 30% on just purchasing the app. Somewhere along the lines, apps realized that, uh, you know, this was about the time of the rise of the free app that charged in-app purchases as a new model. A lot of people on that one, very lucrative. Apple wanted in on that. So in 2009, they adjusted their store so that all in-app purchases were required to go through the Apple's in-app purchase system. And so they got 30% on those. Uh, in 2011, another rule changed that even subscriptions have to require the in-app purchase system. They got into a big row with Amazon over that one. Amazon's like, uh, just because we want to be, just because people on iOS want to be able to use our website doesn't mean you get 30% of all Amazon revenue. Right. Well, there uh, was also a, a story which I pulled up uh, for this week was, which is probably where this came from, where this information came from was that. Uh, this was on Mac rumors that Apple had discussed punitive measures against Netflix back when Netflix decided to stop letting people subscribe from within the app and forcing them to go off the app because otherwise they were giving up 30 percent of your. Oh, I remember this. And, and Apple and, was and looking the to only make them. Thing, yeah. The only thing that saved Netflix was that they ended up becoming so large that Apple couldn't handle the backlash. Right. Because, that was the only reason. Because they did the same thing to other company. Uh, uh, there was a company back then, and I can't even remember it, probably because they were never big enough and Apple put them out of business, but uh, was doing roughly the same thing. And anyway, yeah. Yeah, Apple it's, had internal discussions on making Netflix pay for daring to anger the Apple gods with their, because then you can still download the Netflix app on your iPhone or iPad. But it showed you, sorry, but you have to go to Netflix.com or whatever to sign up and then you can come back here. But we can't just take your money through this device. And uh, that angered Apple. They like so, their percent. Uh, one of the things that Epic is really pushing for and, and they're going after Apple. Apple is is highly public, but they're they're far from the only store that uses this model. And make no mistake, Epic wants a precedent that they can use to beat over the head other stores that use exactly the same model like uh sony like nintendo epic provides a very 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 popular cross-platform game early i actually i don't know how popular Fortnite is it might have passed its 15 minutes of fame but it's still pretty big and 
they have they they are fighting. You know, Tim Sweeney is in for the long haul with regards to uh, these are our customers. The customers are here for Fortnite. They're not your customers. You just happen to have a device so that they can play the game. Stop cutting into our revenue. And I, I, I it, it shouldn't surprise you. I'm kind of with Tim Sweeney on this one. But at the same time, it's, you know, when we are the, we're the little bystanders who are watching a couple of Goliaths take punches at each other and just hope we don't get stepped on here. Yeah. And you mentioned sideloading and jailbreaking. And the intriguing thing that up until recently, I believe, because I had an iPhone back way back when, and I think it was like an iPhone four or something like that, or maybe up to the iPhone six and jailbreaking was no big deal. I mean, it was a pain in the ass, but once you had the phone, once you had the jailbreak, everything still functioned that changed over the last few years, especially with apple pay and it's the same with the samsung phones and anything else if you break the operating system the ability to do that kind of stuff goes away because now they don't trust the phone and a lot of people this is how you're keeping a lot of people i think from jailbreaking the apple devices is well i'm addicted to having my apple pay i don't have to take my credit card as far as i'm concerned it's a valid compromise right right but But, yeah Certainly, yes. For a lot of people, it's not that they're like, well, no, I'd be able to rather be able to wave my phone at the grocery store rather than be able to jailbreak the phone. But this is kind of an interesting concept. It's like, should that really keep your banking software from working? I mean, I get the concept that, well, once you mess with the code, but you could you could uh, sandbox those a little bit better, too. I, I, I fully respect the the people's right to make that choice for themselves, but I don't I don't have a hell of a lot of respect for the fact that we're being presented uh, an all or nothing take it or leave it deal. Um, I, I want to be able to uh, write and run my own software on my hardware without having to pay Apple for the privilege. And I would like to be able to use my phone in the contexts for which it's designed. And and we're not being given that, and and it, it's going to take some more cultural change to do that. Um, uh, the last thing that Epic pulled up in their first day was uh, they brought uh, to the stand a representative from a game called Roblox, uh, which uh, is is another very popular game. Uh, in fact, Roblox is uh, they recently went public with a thirty eight billion dollar market cap, so not a tiny thing. No. Um, they and another uh, another product called Minecraft, which uh, I have heard of, uh, are their their quote unquote games, but they're really kind of simulations that have their own in game currency, have their own in game app stores. And Epic made the argument, I think, pretty convincingly, that these are exactly the same as Fortnite, and Apple is perfectly fine allowing those to have their in game currency, and there's not a lot of difference there. So, um, classic appeal to hypocrisy. Ultimately, what this this trial is going to hinge on, I think, is uh, effectively how they decide to define the market, Uh, because Epic says that this is the iOS market and Apple is absolutely a monopolist and is abusing monopoly power to control with an iron fist everything that happens on iOS. Apple is saying this is a smartphone market and iOS is uh, a tiny part of that. And there's plenty of competition because anybody can put down their iPhone and go get an Android. 
And it's it's going to be interesting when they start uh, trying to apply antitrust to see which definition uh, the, the lawyers are arguing back and forth, but see which definition ends up getting adopted here. It's an interesting take because it's like, oh, no, you could buy plenty of other phones. It's like there's really just two operating systems that are mainly available for most people when they're yeah. thinking smartphone. Yeah, the the we're in a monopoly argument uh, is I mean, obviously, it's going to serve Apple in this particular trial. But but if you if you take that one to its logical extension, which is outside the scope of this trial, then OK, then you're a duopoly, which is also not great. No. And if you're somebody that is a software app developer with all of these things, it's horrible that if you want to do business and sell software that you write for the Apple devices, a dollar out of every three that comes in, more or less, goes to Apple. And that is a pretty big vig, if you ask me. And a lot of them do it because there's a huge market there. And they'd rather have some money than no money. But you pointing out how much money Apple's making on the App Store, the percentage, the profit margin, maybe that will start changing. I mean, it's interesting. A lot of socialists love to have their iPhone and love Apple, but uh, they're the most capitalistic company out there. (laughs) I I mean, if if capitalism is seeing a market opportunity, seizing it and milking it for all the money it's worth. And by the way, hint, that's what the capitalism is. Yeah. Apple's doing it right. Yeah, they have a lot of cash in the bank and they will make the developers pay whatever they want to get a part of that sweet, sweet <laughs> pie. Because- oh, another another argument that that Epic made and uh, it was uh, the the uh, on the topic of charge what you want. And this this was, again, part to the point of saying Apple is a monopoly is they said that uh, a couple of years ago, Apple arbitrarily changed the prices with absolutely no change in cost basis or or anything in their operating procedure they changed the price from 30% to 15% on their uh the second year and on of having an app in and uh epic says well if if you can arbitrarily make that change uh then uh it, you know you, you then you have that much control over it um he said, uh, let's see, there's a name for businesses that can set prices without regards to costs. That name is monopolies. Right. Well, yeah, because, the, you know, Apple could run this at much lower margins and they would still be fine. They're not going out of business if Apple really wanted to. And I think maybe that was more the concept as we started the show with social media. When they start all of these things, it's all free. We don't even think about making money. Well, at first, was there always a VIG if you wanted to post your software to the Apple Store? Or was it originally the same type of thing like, hey, developers, please, we're launching this product. Come help us out. Launch your product. Uh, Make millions of dollars. And then it was like, oh, we're successful now. Pretty sure that there's been a 30 percent VIG for as long as there was an App Store. Uh, But the App Store did not exist for the first edition of the iPhone. The only apps you could run were the ones that Apple built in. I think oh, it was right. the iPhone 2 that the App Store first came out and from then on they were saying they were charging 30% on app purchases and then they they expanded that to include uh in-app purchases to include subscriptions to include if if you if you use this app to uh to access your Netflix then you have to pay us 30% of your Netflix fee etc. Well this is just 
nefarious from so many different angles, being that if we had a grumpy old Ben's app, let's say we had an app on the iOS system for the iPhone, iPad. That then, then according to Apple's policies, we would owe them 30% of our donation money. Not all of it, but any of it that came in through that app. So we're talking streaming Satoshis. Well, that, you know, that's that's something that they've argued in the past. There, I, there is there is the argument that a- Apple has made in the past that if you make a subscription, if, if you have something, uh, a service that can be offered through the iOS app, you owe us 30 percent of whatever you make for that service, which has led a number of people to say, well, this is the iOS service you're getting and this is the Android service or this is the, the web service that you're getting. Yes, they're totally different. Although, uh, early on in the app store, they also decided to head off the idea of, you know, it, because another fine capitalist thing to do, Apple, Apple's a great capitalist country. They are com- country yeah, practically. Um, <laughs> hey, they have more money than most countries. They are doing capitalism right, but they are limiting it for other people because one of the ways that if you are an app developer that you take into account you're like i sell this service on my website or i sell it through ios but through ios they're charging they're taking 30 percent off the top so we'll just add that back and now the price is higher on ios and apple's app store policy has always specifically said if you sell this any you know anywhere else it has to be the same price right which that by the way that is uh uh, an anti-competition control on the market well, it's the uh, same so, thing the food delivery apps do. If you sell a pizza for 10 bucks off your own website, just because somebody orders through Uber Eats and you're giving them 30% to deliver it, you still have to charge $10. Yeah, and and I I don't think that that kind of contract should be enforceable, but um I mean, here we are. Here we are I, discussing it. Google not much different, although Google Play Store is adding privacy information by 2022, so by next year. They are adding a new section on the Google Play Store with all of the privacy information from every app, which I'm kind of surprised this doesn't exist already, but they are making it easier for people to see what each app requests, how it's using that data. If there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of alleged information that should be filled out by the app developer, whether that'll be like we talked about with the app. How do you enforce this? That they're actually just telling you what they're doing and it's honest but it's i guess it's a step in the right direction which is to be able to have that information at a glance you can look up an app well hey the grumpy old ben's app they're collecting my email so they could spam me they're collecting my phone number so they can call me in the middle of the night they're they're accessing my camera in case i'm a hot chick there's all these sorts of things you'd like to know if the app is doing something i'd like to know yeah most people would um so it's it's a good sign, I, I guess. If our app is collecting pictures of of women, uh, I, I'd like to know this sort of thing. I'd like to get into that database. Is there a breach yet? No, not yet. It's the most secure app ever. We've we because we, we yes, haven't, it, is. it is the only type of app that's a hundred percent secure because it's not implemented yet. Correct. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes for Google. They're also trying to make things safer, allegedly. By enabling multi-factor authentication by default on your Google account. And I read that and I'm like, you know, I don't like being forced to do this kind of stuff. 
And I wanted I'm I'm always looking for the reason why they might be doing this rather than just helping the customer because Google doesn't care if your Gmail account gets ha- hacked and you lose access to everything. They don't care. There's nobody well, the, for you to call. There's nobody to the, talk the, to. I was going to say the classic response to that is to reduce support costs. Right. But Google doesn't offer any support. So I, I don't know if that applies. I mean, maybe they're trying to be helpful. And I will say, because I bought a YubiKey on my main Gmail account, the main Google account, I did add the that to my main Gmail, the YubiKey thing. And I will say, I do feel like the account is now more secure. It's less of a pain in the ass than I thought it would be, because once you use it on a browser, because of all this great fingerprinting technology, you don't have to put the YubiKey in every time you log in. You know, it's only if there's no remnant of that browser or anything. But if I go oh, yeah. to my wife's computer and try to log into my Gmail account, then it's like, put the YubiKey in. And the, the benefits of fingerprinting, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, if I like that or not. So I mean, actually, I, I'll tell you what the, the most obvious benefit of browser fingerprinting that a lot of people probably don't even realize they're benefiting from is when you get one of those awful, awful recaptchas and you, you have to click the I'm not a robot. Right. Uh, the, you know, if you've noticed, some people click I'm not a robot and then it just lets them right through and they're like, oh, this is easy. I don't see a problem. And some people click it and they are subjected to the next half hour of please, I click every square that has a pixel in it or something like that. Uh, what's the difference? Well, the difference is if they let you straight through, it's because they don't need you to go through their little rigmarole game because they've got enough privacy data on your browser fingerprinting. And, uh, you know, especially if you're logged into an account or um, they have enough data on you that they're like, OK, well, we're pretty sure we know who this person is and we've got. You know, we got all their information on file and we know their address and their their first pet's name and their elementary school. So you'll let them through. And the people who get stopped by that system and have to click the pixels over and over and over again are the ones for which you you are practicing private data security. You're you're being clean with your data. You're not providing a ton of random fingerprinting data at every website. And so if it is a punishment against anybody who cares about their privacy. Yeah. And I've noticed that even when I believe I've gotten the photo captures right, as you said, quite often it goes to another and another for no apparent reason. I well, the the algo knows. Well, the algo knows I have just gotten to default to request the audio captcha, which is way easier i mean one i have crappy eyes but even if you don't have crappy a vision this is a much easier concept to deal with because it's usually like two or three words and it's usually fairly easy to understand and you type that in and you're on your way so that is a that's a plus the the other thing that that guarantees you're going to go through and into the the endless clicking hell is if you run a browser where you dump cookies periodically oh yeah because that's the other thing that they really want is they will scour your hard drive for every website you have ever clicked on. And if you've got cookies for it, hey, it's like, you know, they've got a, a budget. This is how much private data we have to suck up from the person. And if you're just broadcasting enough to everybody, you get to go right through. If not, screw you. 
Hope your time wasn't worth anything. Train our AI. Well, you know, this is it, why if please I please identify a stop sign in this picture, do it Christ. in the next 10 seconds, please. Somebody's right. life made count on it. Right. The Tesla is veering out of control. Uh, but I will say that one of the websites that I've noticed this on fairly recently, although I haven't been a big customer of Newegg for a while, I used to buy everything at Newegg for computers, building my own and hard drives and all that, except then Amazon came along and they sell it cheaper and they get it to me quicker. But because Amazon was pissing me off by shipping me hard drives with no protection around it, I went to Newegg to see what they had. One, their prices weren't better and their shipping was slower. So, I mean, there's that. But then I also got the pop up. We need to prove you're human. It's like, fuck you. I'm here to spend hundreds of dollars with you. This I need to prove you're human. You know how you prove I'm human? I give you fucking money and buy stuff. Yeah, hello. Uh, is, is a is a robot's money not worth anything to you? Is that how it works? I guess. Are you being, are you being robotist? <laughs> I think so. If that robot has a charge card, you should be happy that they're uh, that they're well. On new, that's uh, the new problem egg. is that robot usually does have a charge card, but those, those end up being chargebacks. <laughs> right. That's true. We're buying a lot of stuff and we're shipping it to Nigeria. But uh, yeah, that angered me to no end. The- oh, see, I can handle if. If they're going to ship me a quality product, like maybe a hard drive that's not broken, right? Um, then then I'd be willing to accept the slower and even the higher prices. But I'm not, I'm not going to put up with that. I, like, it, it, I'll tell you what: the vast majority of websites that put one of those freaking recaptchas up, uh, I, I I'm like, I don't, you, you know what? The cost just was too high. I don't need to pay attention to your website anymore. You don't get my clicks anymore. Yeah. When you order four hard drives and you have to send two back because they were bad because of the way they were shipped, that's, uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know what that does to their profit margin, but I don't care. It's ne- Amazon? Yeah. I don't think it moves the needle. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter at all. Uh, but at least they don't ask me to prove I'm human while mid shopping experience. And it's well, like, no, you're probably logged into Amazon and they've got enough of your history to have reason to believe you're human anyway. Well, here's the thing. Newegg, I have a login too. They don't care. It's like, you know what? Once somebody's logged in, I mean, either that or give me that option of we need to prove you're human or you need to log into Newegg. So that's how we know. But that would be irritating, but even, but at least I kind of understand it. Yes. Yeah. This one I didn't. And it's like, you know what? You don't have better prices. You don't have better shipping. And I understand that this is ruining a lot of smaller companies because Amazon can steamroll them. But then when you add insult to injury with the prove you're human, if you want to continue to giving, if we want us to continue giving you the ability to shop our products and give us money, jump through these hoops. I'm sorry. It's the other way around. If you want me to continue spending money, then you jump through some of my hoops. When, when can we start calling companies like that and asking them trivia questions and shit that if they oh, can't yeah. answer it correctly? Well, well I'm not like, going to buy yeah. from you then. Please, please prove that you're new egg. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, I can't send you this thousand dollars. I was going to send you for this new machine. If there was any kind of, you know, re- if there was any kind of goodness in the world, we'd be able to do that. If there was any kind of fairness. But I digress. There's not. No, there's not. There's not. And we have plenty of more to talk about, but you know what? We oh, bloviate. I mean, should, I know we should probably stop while we're behind, though. Well, we well we get paid though by the minute with Satoshi. So I mean, we could just oh, meander. Well, 
Uh, in that case, all I've got left is is a Nebraska beef passport. <laughs> Wait, there is such a thing as a Nebraska <laughs> beef passport? Is it uh, made? This, Wait, is the passport? Let me guess. Is the passport made out of beef, or is this something so. you need to have to get beef? Oh, the this wow. this was uh, this was a uh, uh, launched by Governor Pete Ricketts, and I think it was a little bit tongue in cheek because uh, of you know Biden did this at uh, places like Colorado where. They're trying to make this push for people to move away from beef in order to save the climate. And Nebraska is one of the best, you know, most prolific beef making states in the union. And uh, so he wa- he put out a new program where you can earn stamps by ordering a beef item on a menu at a restaurant and you can redeem them with the Nebraska Beef Council for a chance to win prizes. First prize is a high end cooler full of meat. That's a great idea. I like it meat. Kind of- yeah, I mean, if I were, I'm not certain it's worth it for me to make the trip to Nebraska, but I guarantee I would be ordering beef items on at restaurants. You're like, wait, we can't play from other states. That's very, very uncool, and, Nebraska. And Nebraska doesn't even require you to wear a mask while you eat. How do you how do you get the food through the mask in California? I think you have to like blend it up and pour it through the mask. There's a, there's a blender at every table. <laughs> And a straw that goes, you know, right, just a little slit in the mask. And it's like, oh, you would like filet mignon? Here you go. Mashed potatoes. You just put them in the blender and you have to, they have to go through the straw. Otherwise, it's not a safe That's, eating experience. Yes. Because you might get COVID from food, from chewing food. Man, we live in a crazy world, don't we? Oh, we do. But we appreciate everybody for listening to our crazy rantings about the crazy world. Grumpy old Ben's will be back on Monday with john fletcher of the hog story fletchers i believe and uh you is that the is that the going uh rate right now you and fletcher for monday uh no no who is who's gonna be on oh uh, i i haven't told you yet you're really not uh, good with this marketing <laughs> stuff <laughs> no. uh monday morning uh i am going to be doing grumpy old ben's uh with uh sir carl from rochester nice uh, the the baron of upstate rochester uh, and from the no agenda community, uh, he also does a podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, he has a but- little show that they do. Uh, he advertises with the people that grab your balls or that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, yes. The, the man mangler. Yes. The man mangler. It's a great product available when you listen to who hey, are don't, these podcasts. Don't talk shit about Carl's sponsors or. Or he might not come on our show. That's how advertising and censorship. Well, see, I invited Carl on. I said the next time he came out, we really had to talk marketing. And since I won't be here, this should be an interesting conversation between guy who makes his main living marketing and guy who hates marketing and complains about it most of the time. So this could be a rage quit. People don't know what's going to happen here. I, You know, I'm really hoping that if I can get on the right topics, he can make me rage quit. That ought to be entertaining. <laughs> See, and if he's recording the show, that's perfect, because then he yeah. could just that would be the best grumpy old Ben's ever. Where He just continues on without either one of us on the show. You might and, just want to ask uh, him to record the show, though. He's a pro and he'll be able to record that on his end, too, just in case there's a technical difficulty. So. Uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to try my hand at doing a show. Uh, we will see if I can remember to click the, the record button or, or to wake but, up Monday morning. Well, that's all that stuff every <laughs> Monday morning. You know what? I'm not alone. Monday mornings are that that's a Monday morning thing. Yeah. Well, my Monday morning will be just as delightful. Let me tell you. I, I think you've got it better. Everybody should uh, tune in live 
two hours later than normal, although there may be something going on at normal time. So just get on the No Agenda stream, noagendastream.com on Monday and see what's going on. With that said, I will be back. I hope. <laughs> Otherwise, unless the whole camera I, I thing hope goes. you'll be back. Yeah, I, I hope so. That would be uh, that would be a hell of a way to go out. Let's just uh, let's just put it that way. Until I, next- I might be the heart and soul of this podcast, but you're the one who makes it happen. Yeah, the one that presses record. Until <laughs> next time, that's what makes it happen. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of Middle America, just outside of Chirac, where I can't wait to be sipping on an ice cold magnesium citrate. And. From America's left coast, where if everything goes wrong, in worst case, I'll just have to start recording my pee. I'm Ryan Bemrose.